Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. You know, meniscus are tricky. I had a meniscus one time and played in a couple weeks, and I've seen guys miss a month or two. So we got to wait and see the results. But it's a devastating injury. The Sixers, without him, they might be a lottery team. That's how great he is. Man, I hope he's not out of an extended period of time because, not number one, he's the MVP. That's how great a player he is. But the Sixers got zero chance without him. A not-so-happy hour Friday to start things off here on the Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Charles Barkley last night when the news came down. Joel Embiid, a meniscus injury. That's all we know at this point. We don't know if it's a tear. We don't know the grade. We just know it's a meniscus injury. Going to be further evaluated. He's out for the weekend. But we do know that Joel Embiid is not playing tonight or excuse me, tomorrow against Brooklyn. He will not play on Monday against Dallas. And we don't know when he'll be back. Um, we've seen this script before. We have seen this act before from Joel Embiid and the 76ers. It seems that nobody really wants to come right out and say what's going on here. Now, it was an ominous tweet last night from Sham Sharania from The Athletic who said that the meniscus was torn, and then he had to delete the tweet, and that kind of set off a firestorm of, was it torn, is it, or excuse me, is it torn, is it just a grade one or two? You know, Joel Embiid has had a meniscus injury. This is now the fourth time he has suffered a meniscus injury, and this is the second time on this knee. He had this same knee injured in 2017. But this is also the same injury that Joel Embiid has had in the past that he tried to play through in playoffs, where we always say, ah, it's not the same Joel Embiid. He had his left knee surgery in the season that he was basically his rookie year, 2016-2017. He had a meniscus injury, and it ended a season that needed surgery. But at that time... You know, he was a rookie, and he was playing really well, and I don't think the Sixers were too interested in winning, and I think we were just kind of like, ah, you know, like whatever. He then had the same injury against the Wizards in 2020-2021. He played through that. He had the same injury last season against the Nets, and he played through that. So we have seen two sides of Embiid, the surgery side with this injury and the playing through it side. The problem is the playing through its side is not the same Joel Embiid. When he tries to play through it, yeah, he's out there, but you get the guy that you saw against Golden State on Tuesday night, kind of laboring up and down the floor, not really interested in getting and mixing it up in the paint. This is a problem. If this is anything that is going to linger, it's a problem especially if it's a tear, if it's a tear, there's a possibility that we don't see him be the rest of the season. That is typically a four- to six-month type of a recovery time. Now, you can make the argument it's February now. If he is on the front end of the four months, 
that you see Joel Embiid back possibly, you know, the playoffs start in April. You're talking about right now it just turned February. So all of February, March, three months is April. Now, it's like late April that the playoffs start. So you might say, okay, if the Sixers could get out of the first round, if you're highly optimistic, he might be able to play in a second-round matchup. But now you're talking about highly optimistic end of a four- to six-month possibility. Again, this is if it's a torn meniscus and he needs surgery. At that point, you're probably talking about a lost season for Joel Embiid. You're probably talking about a year where Embiid was having a historical type of impact, was definitively having his best season, should have potentially been a back-to-back MVP candidate or winner, I should say. And now you're talking about possibly him not even being a part of the team if they make the playoffs here. As Charles Barkley said in that line that we used to start the show, the Sixers are probably a lottery team without Joel Embiid. Are we ready to go that far? I mean, they won the game last night without him. Give them credit. They didn't roll over. They went out on a bad road trip and found a way to finish that thing off. Now, they needed a 50-burger from Tyrese Maxey, who, by the way, named to his first-ever NBA All-Star game. So congratulations to Tyrese, who had just an epic performance last night. He was awesome in the game last night, but they needed every bit of his 50 last night. Are the Sixers a lottery team without Joel Embiid? I don't know if I'm ready to go there, but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, they are closer right now to the play-in games than they are the number one seed. Philadelphia is six games behind Boston. They're only five games out of the play-in tournament. So you can make an argument. Now, they're 10 games up on Atlanta, who's the 10 seed. You know, they play Brooklyn tomorrow. You can listen to the game on 97.3 ESPN. And, you know, Brooklyn is 11 games behind Philadelphia. So they are not going to fall out of the playoffs entirely. But where do they go from here without Joel Embiid? Look, if this is a one, a grade one or grade two. Now, I'm no doctor. I don't know these things. But he will, in my opinion, we're not going to see Joel Embiid probably the month of February. I mean, I think that's best-case scenario. I'm just giving an opinion. I didn't talk to anybody. I don't know. These meniscus things are tricky. If it's just a four, if it's just a grade one or grade two, we know that Joel and B could play. We've seen him do it. Like, if this was the playoffs and he had played all year and they needed him on Saturday against Brooklyn, he pro- now, remember, last year, He sat a game out against Boston. They actually won the game with James Harden having a 40-plus game. But that's the injury that he had, all right? It was a meniscus injury that he had in the the game, and he did not play against Boston. It's one of those things like some days people have had meniscus injuries. You know, some days you wake up and your knee's like a little swollen because basically the meniscus just kind of flaps around, and sometimes it just kind of gets like, 
flapping in the wind there. It gets stuck between, you know, some bone and that causes inflammation and some swelling. And then if you kind of walk it around and kind of walk it off, it might kind of get out of that, you know, wedge that it's between. And then it kind of, it dissipates. But it's not a good feeling. I can tell you that much. It's not fun when you have like this swelling constantly around your knee. It's not a painful situation sometimes, but there's a lack of trust and like you feel like your knee is a little weaker. You just mentally feel like, eh, my knee is not as strong. And then if I come down weird on it, it's not going to hold me up. It's not going to have the same. So you could play through it. You know, I think Joel has played through it. But the problem with it is you see he lacks the confidence to be Joel Embiid. That's the problem. So there have been people, Kendrick Perkins, who has suggested that maybe Joel just needs to sit the season out. Forget the playoffs, forget this season, and just kind of move on. This was Kendrick Perkins yesterday. If I'm the 76ers, I'll shut Joel Embiid down for this season. You mean the rest of the regular season? The rest of the year. Really? Because for the simple fact, like, this is going to continue to get worse. Like, he's not going to come back and be, like, pain-free. Right? We saw last year what happened in the postseason. Yeah. He said, I would just sit him out. Because the problem is, we saw what happened last year in the postseason. He wasn't Joel Embiid. So now you're just throwing a half-assed version of Joel Embiid out there, who, by the way, is better than most of the other versions of any player. But mentally, he's not the same if he's out there and his knee is not ready to go. Now, it depends. What happens between now and the playoffs? I know one of the reasons I think what's going on right now with the Sixers is maybe they don't have the images. They have to have the images left. Come on, we're not idiots. I mean, they know what the answer is. They just are trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, you're telling me an NBA player got an MRI and they don't have the results yet? I mean, come on. What are these people make us as? Are we supposed to be that dumb? It, it is exasperating how they they act. They act like, oh, we're still evaluating something we have we've had for two yeah, days. Joe in Smithville can go get an MRI and his results come in faster than Joel and Beads. I mean, of course we don't believe that, but or at least faster than the Eagles show up to a press conference. Sure. The problem is the Sixers have to now try to figure out what it is. If it's a torn ACL, how are they going to play this? Are they really going right. to come to terms and say? We're going to sit him out. He's done for the year. Are they ready to come to terms with he is done for this season and now what? Because you have a team that entered this season with not a lot of expectations. I don't think people were all that excited about the Sixers. They're kind of like, okay, you haven't got out of the second round. I'll pay attention when you get out of the second round. The whole Harden thing lingered. And then the season started. Kind of with a whimper, if you will. I mean, the, the Phillies were kind of overtaking them. The Eagles were off to this great start. So the Sixers were kind of over here and made that trade for Harden and got all these little pieces back. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, the Sixers seems kind of interesting. You got Joel B playing at like a really high level. Maxi is now like another level up from the guy that he was. He was a fun guy. Now he's like a all-star player. And then you had all these role players, just Kelly Oubre, kind of, where did he come from? I didn't even realize they signed him, a lot of fans would say, right? So they have this team that's kind of interesting all of a sudden. 
They're as high as number two in the standings at one point, and all of a sudden you're kind of like, hmm, this Sixers team might be interesting. And now not. Right? I mean, as soon as Joel Embiid goes out, you've lost interest. I mean, you can't you can't buy this team now. But you may have said, you know what? I'm going to give this team another shot. I'm going to give this Maxi and Bede and all these, like, you know, high-level role players. They are veteran role players who have all, like, kind of fit their roles really nice. And, of course, um, you've got a new coach. The Nick Nurse aspect of this, I think, brought some people to say, I just hated Doc Rivers that much, didn't believe in him so much, but I'll give Rivers uh, Nurse the benefit of the doubt. With Joel Embiid out right now, and potentially for the rest of the season, I mean, it's a completely lost season if that happens. And look, if Joel Embiid misses, look, we're we we literally on Groundhog's Day right now. It's ironic that this is happening on Groundhog's Day. This is the movie wrapped into everything. It, the same thing happens all the time. Embiid, great season, love the guy, gets hurt. Embiid, great season, loves the guy, gets hurt. It's the movie on the day that it's occurring. This is unbelievable. And if Embiid goes out, let's say today they make the announcement, Joel has a grade two MRI. I don't know that that's accurate. I'm just giving an example. Sure. A grade two meniscus injury. That's a four- to six-week injury. You could play, but we don't want them to, four to six weeks. You're talking about the entire month of February and then two weeks of March. You're literally, think about this, just to kind of give you some point of reference. You're basically talking about the whole month of February, which means he would be out starting Saturday against Brooklyn, all the way... To let's go to probably about March Madness is about where you would go. Six weeks, the March Madness play in games, those field of 68, the four, what are they called? The, the, the first four. The first four. Thank you. The first four starts on the 19th. The Sixers play on the 18th, that Monday. That would probably be the threshold of the six weeks. So you're talking about the Sixers playing an entire month of February and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more games in March, potentially without him. The question really becomes, who are they without him? Where are they without him? Can they keep themselves afloat without him? And like Charles Barkley said, they're probably a lottery team without him. Maybe in the future, I don't know about this year, I think they have built up enough cushion and equity that they may be able to keep themselves in like the six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. But then really, what are you? It's a lost season, you know? So let's say you get in bead back after six weeks. Now you've essentially given him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 games left to try to get his legs back under him. And at that point, you even asked the question, if it's six weeks, do we just wait 
until April and see where we are. And then in April, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in April that we can get him out there, let him run up and down the court, get his legs back, and hope that those seven games are enough to get his cardio back, his rhythm back, and all that stuff. That is why I think there's some delay if this is not a tear. If it's a tear, he's done. I mean, he's not playing the rest of the year, right? Right. If, if it's a complete tear, they have to go in and repair it. Because you, for two reasons. One, because the knee will be completely unstable constantly. And two, you, you need to go in there and clean it up. So it's, it's a twofold reason. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if it's just a strain, if it's just, as you said, maybe he got stuck in between, like it got wedged in there, or even if it's only a partial tear, Mike, you know, you can recover from a partial tear without needing surgery. We've seen guys do it before. That's what Bark was talking about in the audio. He said, listen, when I had a meniscus injury, I didn't need to have surgery. I was just back a couple of weeks. I was good to go. Everyone's a little different. So for MB, I think they're evaluating what the next step is. And I think that they're, I'm assuming part of their concern is also is how do we explain this to Joel? Like, how, how do we present oh, this Oh, I'm him? sure he's there. I, I have to imagine he knows um, that this is not good. Well, I mean, he may know it's not good, but he's also the same guy, according to Nick Nurse, who said, I'm good to go, coach, on Tuesday. And he obviously wasn't good to go. So there's a part of this. So Joel is the kind of person who historically has wanted to play through injuries. Yeah, but the good to go could be what we're talking about. He could play in the playoffs last year. But he wasn't Joel Embiid. Was he right. good to go? Sure. But he wasn't Joel Embiid. So, yeah, he's good to go. Coach, I can play. We got all these guys out. I'm I'm good to go. So I can understand him. But the problem is I don't blame Joel. I would say if you're watching the game, get him off the floor once you watch that game. Anybody on the medical staff, the coach, anybody who works there, yo, he is not good. Get him off the floor and it wasn't just watching him. You could watch the style of game he was playing. He's shooting six threes. He was two times at the free throw line. Totally uncharacteristic. Out of rhythm. Couldn't get up and down the floor. I mean, it was evident and obvious that he shouldn't have been out there. Now, I have no clue whether what happened was related to the injury. Obviously, it doesn't help that a professional athlete fell on his knee and right. hyperextended. The look was like a hyperextension. Right. That doesn't help things, okay? That doesn't help matters. But he shouldn't have been out there. Whether he was a 1,000% and that happens, maybe that injury is brand new. But I can't imagine that it helped anything that was going on with that knee. That's all. And I think the Eagles, uh, the Sixers, I, I got to imagine, you know, they can't be happy with the way this is handled. No. And now it's right. It happened. What do we do now? And maybe that's part of the reason why you got to be extra careful. Like you said, Mike, do you just say, look, Joel, you're not playing for two months. We'll, we'll see you in April because, and I don't understand. Like you, like there doesn't need to be a timeline. Like, look, Joel, you are shut down indefinitely. We, we need to get you back for the playoffs. I know you want to play and our goal is to get you back out there. We're not going to tell you four to six weeks. We're just going to stay monitoring you. And in three weeks, if this all changes, we'll reevaluate. It doesn't have to be, you're not playing for five weeks. Okay? Like, because Joel wants to be out there. The team needs him. And here's the problem. You know, 
my buddy Q Myers, who does the overnight show, uh, excuse me, game night, um, at 10 o'clock. He said the Sixers just need to worry about Embiid being healthy. Here's what he said on game night last night. Without him in the playoffs, they don't have a shot at a championship. So they need to make sure that that big fella is healthy for the playoffs when it matters the most. So he's going to miss some time. He's probably going to be ineligible to be the MVP as long as he's ready for the playoffs and they're in a good position because, look, they're down to the fifth seed right now. The Knicks have passed them. The Cavaliers have passed them. So now the rest of the guys, Tyrese Maxey is, is fantastic. They've got players to get it done. They've got to be able to tread water and make sure that they continue to win games while Embiid is out. That's the thing, though. He said they just have to worry about getting him healthy and for the playoffs. The problem is, realistically, where will they be in the standings if he's not there for the final stretch run of these games? I mean, right now, they're already down to the five seed. They are four games ahead of Indiana for the sixth spot. Okay, can this group... Keep a four game cushion and then that, even if they do that, they're right now the five seed. Can they get this group without Joel Embiid to move up the standings and pass Cleveland the way New York's playing right now and the Bucks? They're the teams right now. Bucks are two, Knicks are three, Cleveland's four. And if you're saddled in this five, six spot, if you're the six, you're playing the Knicks. If you're the five, you're playing Cleveland right now. I mean, that's all. You got Milwaukee's four and a half back. New York is five. Cleveland is five and a half. So those three teams are all one game apart. And look, Philly's right there. They're sick. They're a game and a half behind the Bucks. But are they closer to moving up to that level and passing any of them? Or are they looking more like they would fade back in the other direction? And if that's the case, yeah, Miami did it last year. Can you be Miami? The problem is that the, the East is much more formidable this year. So if you are in those middle games, I don't know that the first round's a gimme, that Joel Embiid no. hasn't played all year, and you're stuck playing New York in the first round. This Knicks team is much better. And that's where it comes down to what's happening in six days, Mike? The trade deadline. Do the Sixers, knowing Embiid is unavailable, do they treat the trade deadline differently? Do they get maybe a little extra aggressive? Do they get less aggressive? What do they do with the deadline? And that could impact what happens next two months. Yeah, well, it could shift everything. Do they say now, hey, we need to get a big man scorer? Do we need to get somebody to replace Joel Embiid? Do we just need to get a second guy that can pair up with Maxi and let those two guys kind of carry us for the next 25 games? We'll see. What should happen with Embiid short-term Long-term, we'll ask Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City coming up next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Because the windows of opportunity, sincere windows of opportunity, are so fleeting, 
I know our guy Perk wants to shut him down all season. Can't shut him down all season because there's no guarantee you're this good again next year. But you shut him down enough that you focus on the postseason. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I don't think that he is unhappy. And I think the question in terms of the big picture future is what is a better fit. And I, I think he's in a great position in Philly. He's just got to stay healthy. That was Monica McNutt this morning talking about Embiid and what the short and long-term plan for him should be. ESPN basketball analyst Monica McNutt right now. Press of Atlantic City columnist Mike McGarry. Our happy hour Friday starts with an unhappy situation, but it's apropos, Mike. It's Groundhog's Day. Today is Groundhog's Day. Joel Embiid <laughs> is hurt. Um, yeah. I, I don't understand why they played him in that game the other night, but where do they go from here? I mean, in your mind, you hear the, what happened last night. It's a injury. They're not saying what it is. But big picture, I would imagine he's not going to play for a while. Yeah, there's a cloud of mystery around exactly what the injury is. Uh, you know, the tweets by some national guys have been put out. They've been, you know, uh, deleted. And, and again, this just comes to my rule of injuries with professional sports teams is I really take what every professional sports team says about an injury with a grain of salt. I'll believe the player is back on the court, the baseball diamond, the football field, the rink. Uh, when they're back, uh, and, and who knows when Embiid will be healthy enough to play. It's really unfortunate, his history of injury, and uh, it, yeah, it's just been tough for him, and, and it's a curse of the big men, right? We've seen it before with Bill Walton, Yao Ming, you know, Greg Oden to the extreme. It's it's just tough for these seven foot two, 300-pound guys to stay healthy. Um if it is, we have seen him play with a meniscus injury before in the playoffs last year. The problem is we do not get the high level of Joel Embiid that you need. So are you in the camp that if this is a meniscus injury, uh, a grade one or two, and not a tear, that he should sit out the season and just say, hey, we can't risk it? Or would you be in the camp that says, sit out and once you're ready, we'd bring you back? Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the later camp. I think, you know, you sit him out till he's, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be 100% healthy. I don't know if any professional athlete is ever 100% healthy, but uh, you sit him out until he feels confident and the doctors clear him that he can play and play like the Joel Embiid that we saw earlier in the season. I think the people right now that are saying hey, shut him down for the season and just get ready for the playoffs. Have those people looked at the NBA standings? Do those people look outside of the Philadelphia region, take a gander up the turnpike at what the Knicks are doing, look out to the Midwest to see what the Pacers are doing and the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing? This sort of attitude that, hey, let's shut Joel Embiid down and we'll just get ready for the playoffs in two months. You might not be in the playoffs without Joel Embiid coming back. Yeah, I don't know if they wouldn't be out of the playoffs, but I understand they'd what you're saying. They'd be in the playoff round. They'd be in the playoff. They, they, they'd yeah, be in exactly. that play-in round, and then who knows what happens. You know, we've seen the Miami Heat come out of that play-in round and make a run to the NBA final, but there's no guarantee. But my point here is that there's no guarantee that these people are just assuming that the Sixers are going to be a top seed in the NBA without Joel Embiid. You know, who knows where they might fall to without him. And then you're talking about a one-game sort of scramble – 
to get into the playoffs in April. Yeah, let's um let's get into that. What is this team without Joel Embiid? Because obviously now they're saying they're gonna you know he's gonna miss the weekend. I can't imagine you know we're talking on Wednesday talking about him getting ready to play against the Warriors in that night, but. Who are the Sixers without Joel Embiid in terms of – they're not winning the NBA championship. That we know. But can they keep themselves – right now they're the five. They are right behind the Knicks. Uh, they are, what, one game behind the Knicks and the three. They're a game and a half behind the Bucks. there. Are they closer to that group? Or now are you more concerned that they fall to the Pacer, Heat, Magic? Now they are six games up on the Heat for the play-in right now. Yeah, they've got a nice cushion there, but I think in terms of playing ability, they're closer to a play-in team than they are one of the top teams in the NBA without, uh, you know, without Joel Embiid. And, you know, they win last night, but Tyrus Maxey goes for 50. Are you going to need an effort like that out of Maxey or Tobias Harris every night to win a game? And I think you just might. I mean, without Joel Embiid, it, it's, it's a major loss. And I think you're going to be able to get by in the in the regular season, right? You're going to catch teams on on trips. You're going to catch teams that maybe have kind of shut it down or you know aren't trying to compete for a playoff spot. I think you're going to get wins like that. But when it comes to the playoffs, without Joel Embiid or uh, in the lineup, the Sixers are in a whole a whole lot of trouble. Mike, give me your thoughts on how this whole thing has gone down and it's been handled. Yeah, it's it's been handled probably poorly, and, and you know my my problem with it mike it's just a lack of information just tell us what's going on it's a basketball player's knee it's not nuclear secrets right i mean why the secrecy you know is he playing is he not playing oh he's not playing Uh, he's off the injury report he's pulled from the game five minutes before then he's playing two nights later and doesn't look good on the court at all. I just think transparency is what's needed here. Just tell us what's going on. Even now, nobody knows what the how bad the injury is. Is it a tear? Is it just a strain? When's he coming back? You know, they say he's out for the weekend. We all know he's out for longer than this weekend. We'd be stunned if he played early next week, right? So, I agree there. I totally agree yeah, there. Let's just be transparent about what's going on. I don't understand... And this goes to a lot of injuries in in, in football and, and all professional sports. I just don't understand the absolute secrecy around injuries. It's it, it's it's sports. It's it's like I said. It's not nuclear secrets or invasion plans here, basically. Yeah, and then Wednesday night. I mean, you're watching that game, Mike. At some point, even if Joel talked his way into it, okay, fine. Joel said, "I'm good to go." And he, he, he got a soft spot from somebody. At some moment of the game, the coach, the assistant, somebody has to say, are you watching this? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? We got to get him off the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree with that 100%. I don't have – some people say, oh, how could he have played at all? You know, I can honestly see – Maybe he felt better. Maybe the medical staff said, okay, let's try this. Let's see what he looks like out there, right? Let's see exactly what we're dealing with. So I don't have a problem with putting him out there to start the game, but I think you're 100% right. Once you saw him playing, and he was obviously limited, you know, he couldn't put any weight on that knee at all. He was a shell of himself. Once you see that happen, I think at that point you got to say, okay, let's protect him from himself. Let's get him out of the game uh, at, at that point. So I agree with you 100%. I don't have a problem with him going out there 
and see exactly, you know, uh, if he can play. But once you saw him struggling, I think at that point you got to get him out of the game. But, you know, at the time it was a close game. And what if they had dropped three, the first three games of the road trip and, you know, they are losing ground in the standings to the Knicks and the Cavaliers. And maybe they thought, hey, we, we got to get a win on this trip. Yeah, well, and and I agree. The eye test said at this point, there's two things there. The eye test said, obviously, something's not right here, one. Two, he was not a factor into why you were even in the position you were in that game. It wasn't like, wow, look, he's banging jumpers from the foul line, keeping us in this game. He just did not have it. And then the numbers don't lie. He took six threes. He's only done that like two other times all year because he was settling for shots. He got to the line twice in the right, game. Which is poor for him, ridiculously exactly. poor for him. Right, yeah. yeah so, so he only got to the line two times. He shot six threes. He was 27% from the field. All of the numbers said he's not ready to play. we got to get him <laughs> off the floor. That's where the, the judgment of this whole situation for me has just been completely um, – malpractice, if you will. Yeah. So the one thing I will say in the Sixers' defense, Mike, is how many times have we seen Joel Embiid sort of come back from an injury or come back from missing games? And I'm thinking specifically of the, of the Celtics series last year, right, where he's looked terrible in the first game back and set off all sorts of alarm signals. And then in the second game back, he's been the Joel Embiid that we've all seen before performing at a top level. So that's the only thing I could think maybe the Sixers can, um, you know, kind of can defend them on. But I agree with you. Once he got out there and you saw how limited he was, you saw he couldn't post up. I mean, earlier in the game, the, the, the Warriors went right at him, attacked him at the rim, scored at ease, just literally jumped over him at the rim because he couldn't elevate and protect the rim. Once you saw him really struggling, um, you know, I think you had to get him out of the game. The only other flip side is maybe from the Sixers' point, they're saying, okay, well, maybe he's just out of shape. Maybe he's trying to pl- play himself back into shape. We've seen him struggle in game one back and then be great in game two back. But, you know, it's, it's just a conundrum. His, his injury history is just really unfortunate. And it's a, it's just a conundrum. And it puts the team in, in, a, in a really tough spot because it's hard to plan for the future. Because at any moment, you know, he could be gone for for an extended period of time. Mike McGarry, press of Atlantic City. Your Knicks for real? I mean, are we buying in nine straight? Is this the te- is this the team? Is this the time? Yeah, I'm, I'm buying in on this Knicks team Woo-hoo-hoo. now. I'm buying in realistically here. You know, I'm thinking. You know, last year they got to the second round of the playoffs. You know, obviously the Boston Celtics. You know, the Milwaukee Bucks are still going to be very tough to beat. I think. Uh, even with Doc Rivers there, there's a lot of firepower there. But I love this Knicks team, and, and what I love about it is it is the Villanova factor. Those Villanova guys, you see now why Villanova won two national championships. Uh, Brunson, DaVincio, and, and Hart are just tremendous players. Great team basketball, the way they move the ball. It's, it's a fun team to watch. It's a, it's a fun story to follow for a franchise, you know, that I've kind of been following for, you know, 50 years, and out of those 50 years, what have they? I think they've been relevant for about seven of those 50 years. So, uh, oh, man. You know, it, it's fun to watch. And again, I think you see now just why those Villanova teams won national championships because they've got those three Villanova guys, and they are certainly playing uh, an ex- exciting brand of ball. And, and I think for people that didn't grow up up there like I did, uh, I think people have to understand that. 
you know, I really think out of all the professional sports teams in the New York area, I don't know if any team unites the New York City area more than the New York Knicks. I mean, you, you divide up Yankees Mets, you got Jets Giants, three hockey teams, but the Brooklyn Nets are an afterthought. Uh, the, the New York Knicks really do unite that city. All right, Mike. Uh, if your editor said, Mike, I want you to write a column on what Daryl Morey needs to do in the next week here, how would that column be penned? Yeah, I think you've still got to go out and try to improve this team and make this team the best it can be, unless Embiid is out for the season, right? If Embiid has any chance of coming back, you have got to make this team the best it can be. And that, to me, means getting a guy on the wing who can score and defend and create shots for you in the fourth quarter. You only have so many years with Embiid left. Even if the Sixers were to slip to the sixth seed or uh, have to be in the playing round and then make the playoffs. Do you want to be a two seed or a three seed and look up uh, in, in, the, in the first round and see Joel Embiid and a healthy Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey coming into your gym? The answer to that is no. So as long as you have Embiid and as long as there's a chance he can be healthy for the playoffs, you've got to make this team as good as it can be. I've heard some suggestions where, hey, keep your powder dry until the offseason. You don't know about Embiid. No, you have only so many opportunities to advance in the playoffs and win a championship with Joel Embiid, uh, and you've got to take advantage of each and every one. All right, Mike McGarry, uh, Battle by the Bay is this weekend, correct? Yeah, a lot of events going on. Battle by the Bay starts tonight at Atlantic City High School. you got Atlantic City versus St. Augustine at 8 o'clock. Of course, the traditional uh, finale, Atlantic City-Pleasantville on Sunday. You've got the War at the Shore girls basketball going on at Mainland. Mainland, 1130 tomorrow, undefeated, 20-0, taking on St. John Vianney out of the Shore Conference, which is one of the magic names in girls basketball in, in New Jersey State history. Uh, a couple of other events, Wildwood and Wildwood Catholic renewing their basketball rivalry down there in Wildwood uh, on Saturday night. So really hitting the peak of the winter season with a real busy weekend here, uh, the first weekend in football. And there's no there's no Super Bowl. There's no football this weekend, Mike. So get get yourself out to a local high school event and, and, and uh, take in one of those games. All right, brother. We'll talk to you next week. Mike McGarry here from the Press of Atlantic City. Thanks, Mike. All right, we'll see you down the road, Mike. Bye. Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, pressofac.com, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. All right, when we come back, good stuff from Mike there. Later on in the show, John Marks is going to join me at 3. We'll kind of do a little 4-for-4 four four type of Philly stuff where all four of these teams kind of sit. Uh, Paul Hudrick will join us. But when we come back, five under-the-radar players that could improve for the Eagles in 2024. It's this Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 249 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Five Eagles players I'm excited about in 2024. Not players who are, these are under the radar guys. I was thinking about this last night. Like, who fits what's happening moving forward here? Yeah, A.J. Brown, Smith. Hurts. Those aren't the guys I'm talking about. It's guys that maybe are under the radar that will, you know, get a breath of fresh air. Guys that will get a fresh coat of paint that Vic Fangio might give a bigger opportunity for. And I was thinking about the guys. 
I think the guy at the top of my list is pretty obvious if you listen to the show. Uh, um, I mean, I have a few different ideas of who it could be. I had not read your article yet, so my working theory would be, are you talking about, well, Cindy Brown's not available because he's injured, Reed Blankenship? No, Reed Blankenship did not make my list of five. All right. I'm not excited about him at all. At all. Yeah, so you're not listening to my show very much. Well, I mean, I'm listening every day. Doesn't mean I'm going to, you and I have the same <laughs> I, exact thought I have pattern. been pretty, uh, <laughs> vocal that I'm not a big, uh, Reed Blankenship guy. You know, he, I am not excited about Reed Blankenship. I think they need to replace him. All right. Who is this obvious person? The number one guy that I am excited that Vic Fangio and how he might use him is Milton Williams. I have been a big uh. Milton Williams fan. I think that uh, he's been underutilized, and I definitely think if Fletcher Cox is gone, he gets a lot more snaps. And I think Fangio will take advantage. Vic Fangio runs a 3-4 kind of uh, front. He likes three down linemen with two rushers standing. So Milton Williams is going to be interesting to see how they end up using him. Is they going to be a guy on the outside? Are they going to, you know, we did see some five-man fronts last year with Sean Desai, and we've seen it in the past with John Gannon. I just want to see how they use Milton Williams. I think he's too talented for Vic Fangio to just not play. So he's one guy. So you're talking about a front where, like, you know, uh, Jordan Davis would be, like, the, the nose tackle, and then Williams and Carter would be on each side of him, and then the pass rushers on the outside of them. Yep. So I think you're going to see Jalen Carter. I don't know. Are you going to play him on the nose? I think like the whole idea was Jordan Davis on the nose. Right. And that he would take up like two guys, just like space. Right. And that he, the other guys would have room to kind of just get one-on-ones. Yeah, he'd be like a Tony Saragusa back in the day or a Pat Williams, a guy to just a space eater. All right. Number two on my list of under-the-radar Eagles that could improve next season and have a bigger impact pack. Dallas Goddard would be my guy. Now, I don't know that you would say, well, he's not under the radar. I thought he had a bad year this year. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I just think that they underutilized him. So he had the broken arm. He had 59 catches for 592 yards. I, I just feel like he was like a lot. Like, we kept saying, is this the week that Goddard breaks out? Is this the week that Goddard breaks out? It never happened. 2021, Dalton Schultz had 104 targets. He caught 78 passes for 808 yards and eight touchdowns. I think Goddard can better all those numbers. So Goddard is a guy that I'm going to put on the list of under-the-radar guys that I'm excited about with the new coaching staff. Yeah, Kellen Moore has a history of using a tight end, so that makes a lot of sense. Number three, I'm going to say N'Kobe Dean. And I'm not excited about it, but I know that Howie Roseman drafted this guy, talked about this guy, mm-hmm. and if you know anything about Vic Fangio's defense, the inside linebackers are a big factor in their defense. You know, the defense down in uh, Miami, they had David Long from West Virginia was the middle, the, the inside linebacker there. Not a big name, but he had a really productive year for them. Correct. He... Fangio likes bigger line, like a Patrick Willis type of guy. He likes a bigger guy. Dean does not fit that bill. So if Dean can stay healthy, I think he has a big season. The problem is, can he stay healthy? I'm not sure. But I think if he can, Vic Fangio will get more out of Dean than what we got out of linebackers this past year. Yeah, I think if Dean's healthy, he could have a huge impact in – 
the in the scheme that Fangio runs. Like you said, I think the other thing is, is that you know we know that Fangio likes to have athletes out there, and he is an athlete. All right, number four. Speaking of athletes, Nolan Smith, edge rusher. They have to get pass rush without blitzing. Nolan Smith was drafted to offer that. So I think Fangio runs a lot of three, four concepts, three down linemen, four linebackers, but those two outside linebackers, I think Nolan Smith gets more of a chance to get some burn on the outside there. He flashed some potential in that playoff game. I mean, he played 16 snaps, which I think was his highest snap total of the season. So Nolan Smith, number four and number five. I don't have a guy. I'm going Eli Ricks, Kaylee Ringo, Mario Goodrich. One of those three guys will emerge. The law firm of? That's Ricks, Ringo, and Goodrich. One of those guys will emerge as, now I'm going to say Ringo is my pick of the three. You also have Makai Gardner, and don't forget, Zach McPherson is coming back. You've also got Isaiah Rogers, the kid from the Colts. But I think one of these young corners emerges in Vic Fangio's defense next year and kind of replaces James Bradbury in that role. All right, when we come back, John Marks will join me. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. The irony of the Joel and Bead stuff is that it occurs on Groundhog's Day. It appears that we go through this every year like Groundhog's Day. I've never actually seen the movie Groundhog's Day, but I do know the premise. Bill Murray. But I'm done with this act, man. This Joel and Bead act has got me down. In the down on my luck. I'm feeling blue about it. I feel terrible. John Marks, John Marks. You can check out his new YouTube platform Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock. And his social media handles are all John Marks Media. And uh, he's been very entertaining. If you're uh, chiming in at 9 o'clock at night, you can check him out. And now it's going to be a five-day-a-week uh, um, thing for you there, Johnny Marks. What's up, buddy? i got to book you for next week, Mike. you got to tell me what day you're available to do it. Well, I'll be at the Super Bowl next week, so you got to get me early. Oh, look at you going out to Vegas! Yeah, I've never been—I've right. never been to Vegas. Ever? Never. Wow! All yeah. right. Well, this is the wrong weekend to go. That's for sure. I, well, I figured <laughs> I, if I'm ever going to go, and you know, I might as well do it now. Um, I ran uh, into yeah. you at the Super Bowl. Where was that? Minnesota. Yes, uh, and you were out. Were you in Phoenix last year? I was last year, yep. Yeah, I saw you last year in Phoenix, Minnesota. Uh, and I will not be. I actually got engaged in Vegas some uh, 11 years ago. Really? Yes, did not get married. I was going to say, to the wo- the woman you're married to now? <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well, I might be able to, I don't know, just shoot me. I'm usually very flexible, man. I'm, I'm, I'm easy, I'm easy flow, easy flow. Um, all right, all right. I'll, I'll text you. I was watching, uh, you know, I, Devon was my producer. Did you know that? He was? When I worked up in Philly. 
Oh, that's, oh, it's a fanatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Actually, I do remember that. Yeah, man, D- I, Devon Gibbons was on with me last night. Now he's doing the PHLY Sixer stuff. Yeah. And, um, man, there's, there, there's not many, there's not a better 76er guy in the city than Devon Gibbons. So it's great to have him on last night. Yeah. I, and he's one of the few guys, uh, that I really kept in touch with a lot up there. We text back and forth from, from time to time. But yeah, he was my producer most of the time up there. I had like a, a revolving door, but he was generally my right. guy. So, uh, I, I was, uh, I enjoyed your guys' conversation, like many of them. Nine o'clock, John Marks Media on the YouTube. It looks like you're having fun with that. It's evolving, man. It's a, it's an evolving situation. I, I'm enjoying it. Um, so I figured we Thank would you. hash it all out, man. It's like one of those things. It's that time of the year. We've hit February and this Joel and B thing just kind of happened. It's like Groundhog's Day and it's like, <sighs> it's so hard. Like this team. It's weird. Like, there wasn't a lot of expectations. And then they were kind of fun. And then he got the new coach. And Maxie's kind of emerged. And you're like, all right, maybe I will give him another chance after nobody wanted to give him a chance. And here they are. This Embiid thing happens again. And it just goes back to this thing was handled just so poorly. And here we are again in this situation. So it is again going to be hard to buy into this team at all. And that's a shame. Yeah, I, I'm, you try to enjoy it, right? And Beat has played so great this year. Maxi had 51 last night. So it's not like that they don't have reasons to tune into the game. But there's also a past, right? Remember when remember Doc, Doc Rivers a couple times had said, oh, I wasn't here for the process days. I wasn't here for all the... Um, you know, for all the all, all the losses, I wasn't here for this. How, how I wasn't here for that. It's like, yeah, but we were, Doc. So don't act like that it didn't happen. As 76ers fans, this is what we've endured. They haven't been to an Eastern Conference final since when? Allen Iverson? Wait, this twenty some years. Before that, how many Eastern Conference finals have they been in the last forty years? Right. So as 76ers fans. We just, you know what, Mike? I, I don't know if I said this with you last time I was on. Even an Eastern Conference final feels like a victory for this team. It yeah. does. And then what happens? And Pete hurts his knee just like he usually does. So yeah. it's so def- it's so deflating because you want to feel like this year's different. And then the same things happen that seem to happen every year. Yeah. And it's like, okay, he hurts his knee. I don't know. Is it four to six weeks? That means he misses the entire month of February. And the pretty much most of March. I mean, I said best case scenario, you see him around March Madness. Think about that. You're waiting yes. on March Madness. And at that point, where are you in the standings? And if you're so far down the standings, is it realistic that if he even comes back? Like, there are people saying, ah, just he's got to sit out the rest of the year. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I guess if he's healthy, you got to play him. But in reality, if you're like the six or seven or eight seed in the play-in game, it feels like just another lost season. It's so disheartening. Yeah, so six weeks, as you said, would put you right in the middle of right in the middle of March. The actual playoffs start on April 20th, so the playing games would be a couple days before that. Seems like there's enough time to where he would get a good month under his belt if he is back in the timetable of four to six weeks. And I, I mean, the. the I don't even know what to say about it because it's like they're like, oh, well, it's not a meniscus tear. It's a meniscus injury. Like, what are we talking about? This is all hocus pocus stuff. He's obviously injured. There's obviously a a problem with the meniscus in the knee. He's seven foot two, 300 pounds. He's going to be out a month, a month and a half. So you wonder, like you had said at the beginning of the comment, can they win enough games to where they're not a fifth or a sixth or a seventh seed? Can they remain a top or can they get back to being a top four seed in the East? The Knicks have surged. I don't think they're winning the East, but I don't think that they're going away anytime soon. 
it just feels like another one of these years where it started off so promising and Bede was was on a streak that was amazing. And when it's all said and done, we're going to be right where we are every other year. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem, too, John, John Marks uh, at John Marks Media. Check out his YouTube show Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock. Are you doing it tonight? Yes. 9 o'clock. By the way, next week I will be good because I'm doing the um, – the red eye home and my show will be over and I, I should be able to shoot the And you'll breeze. have time. Yeah. So I just thought about that. So All right. Deal. All right. Um, Friday, nine o'clock. We could have a couple drinks. That, listen, <laughs> you get drunk at the airport. I'll get drunk at home. I'll take a gummy or something and then we'll have a little fun. <laughs> uh, this is happy hour Friday, by the way, on my show. All day long, people just text in beers for me to try on the weekend. I saw that you took your wife to a, a brewery for her birthday. My girlfriend took me to the brewery for my my birthday was last week too. I saw that. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had a we had a it was a sixty person party at the brewery because it was her fortieth birthday. Was so six. I had six at my party. Oh, uh, so it was less people. <laughs> not not sixty six. <laughs> Yeah, there was uh, we, we we had a lot of fun. Uh, I did not drink any beer though. I was responsibly. I had had two drinks when I first got there. I was responsible. Good, as I always am, Mike. And uh, I was the designated driver, sober driver home. Um, all right. So, and I want to get into something else that happened to that party, but you guys will have to wait for that. Uh, the depth in the East is an issue. That's for me. Like, even if you're in the first round. A 6-3, like, that's not a good match. Like, the Knicks are for, are really a good team now. Cleveland's a good yeah. team. There's just too many teams that could clip you in the first round, and that's another disheartening thing. Yeah, for me, it, it's still coming down to the Celtics and the Bucks. Uh, I think there's a huge drop-off outside of that. But to your point, it becomes a game of matchups now to where who are you matching up with in the first round? If you get a, if you get a favorable matchup, then you could you could advance. It's it's amazing that it's 2024 now, and we're still talking about this team trying to get out of the second round with all the talent they've had, with the regular season wins that they've had, with the draft picks and everything else. We're still trying to figure out a way for this team to get out of the second round in the NBA playoffs. The friggin' Atlanta Hawks beat the 76ers. They made an Eastern Conference final a couple years ago. So, I I, I don't I don't know even with Maxi. And I feel like Nick Nurse is at least year one where you see a big bump from the previous coach to where now it's fresh, a new set of eyes, a new coach that comes in, maybe a little bit more defensive intensity uh, in the playoffs. Even with that, I, I I just don't see it this year. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, Sixers, of course. Uh, by the way, I'm going tomorrow. Sixers, Nets. Going up to see my man Ben Simmons. Who won't be? Is he playing? He's not playing, is he? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if he's playing or not, but um, I, I, it's a shame because the whole Ben Joel thing, that could be out the door. Now you're just watching the Sixers and the Nets. That's the leftovers. Not, not great, but uh, that's tomorrow. We can listen to the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right. Let's, um, the Eagles new coordinators, are they enough to bring optimism at all for next season? No. No, they're not. Optimism for what? Making the playoffs and doing what they did this year? Like, I think this is still a playoff team. Um, I like to call them more higher just because it's an experienced play caller, something that we learned last year was a disaster. And I think a lot of that was that Brian Johnson hadn't called plays before. Nick Sirianni, remember this, Mike. Nick Sirianni has how much play calling experience under his belt? 
however many games before they took they took it away from him and gave it to Shane Steichen, yeah, right? Seven. So, yeah. So between between the primary play caller Brian Johnson, who by the way, if you look at it, if you look at at his resume, he didn't have he had a couple of stops in college as an offensive coordinator. Like he left. I mean, I don't know why he left those jobs. Usually, he leaves a, leave the job for a reason, right? Especially if you're an offensive coordinator. Um, so I, I just think they really, really struggled with play calling last year. So you would have to hope that that is the magic elixir for rejuvenating this offense and for reju- rejuvenating Jalen Hurts. I'm skeptical that that I'm skeptical that it turns back into a top offense like we thought we had last year. And then with Vic Fangio, wait, is that because of Hurts? Vic, is that because of Hurts? Yeah. you're concerned about Hurts. Uh, I mean, the league the league clearly made an adjustment as you expected that they would have, right? I think it's with Lamar Jackson after he won the MVP, when you look at his numbers, uh, he went backwards and some of that was injury, but you know, Jalen Hurts has been injured too, but he went backwards those years after the MVP because the league made an adjustment. And if you look at that game against Kansas City, Steve Spagnuolo did a magnificent job. He said, listen, you're not going to get intermediate and short throws. You're going to have to beat us deep. We're going to take everything from from the line of scrimmage to 10 yards away from you. And he struggled. That's his bread and butter with the intermediate stuff. So if the coaches can't help you out in game and they refuse to run the ball, that killed the Ravens offense in the AFC championship game. And with the Eagles, I mean, it just felt like that at towards the end of the season, they were so clueless that they were just saying, Jalen, run the ball. We don't know what else to do. And, man, he was sensing that pressure. He was feeling pressure that wasn't there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned that not that Jalen Hurts is a bum, but for the Eagles to get back to the Super Bowl, Jalen Hurts needs to play at that same level that he played that, that year. And, I mean, I don't – after watching him play last year, I think that's a real question mark. Yeah, I, I you know, it's funny. It's like we, it's like we want to tiptoe around what Jalen Hurts did and what he didn't do. But yeah, I mean, he appeared to be closer to the guy in 2022 than he was in 2023, and that can't happen. That's no good. Not at that price tag. Nope. Yeah, he's not. It's, he's not the lovable second round draft pick anymore, right? Like Dak, <laughs> Dak Prescott when he had, when he was on his rookie deal, it's like, oh, he's underpaid. He's a mid round draft pick. The minute you start making that money, now there's no excuses. And 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 like even that's with coaches and play calling. Like, dude, you're paid this amount of money to be a difference maker. And we saw Jalen be a difference maker in 2022. We just didn't see it enough in the in the in that six game stretch at the end of last year. So his play's got to got to improve. And I do put a lot of that on Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and this offensive coaching staff. But they got they got to do it next year. All right. So let's mix it up on this. At the end of the draft, will we be saying it was Howie's season, or will we be saying this Howie's got to go? I don't think we're going to be saying this how he's got to go. Um, they have that extra second round draft pick that they got in the Saints trade that the, the draft trade a couple of years ago. So they're going to have two twos. They're going to have the one. I actually, Mike, take, just keep this in mind. If you remember, they were sniffing around the trade deadline of Jalen Johnson, the quarterback from Chicago. And there was also, they were connected with Patrick Sertan. They tried to trade up for him in that draft. Denver wasn't budging. And then they were sniffing around at the trade deadline, according to the people that were talking. They were inquiring about him. I think Howie, a lot like with A.J. Brown, I think Howie has interest in a veteran corner. Not a 30-year-old veteran corner, but a guy they're going to need to extend. And you give up one of the draft picks. I don't know if it's the first. I don't know if it's maybe the top second-round draft pick. But... 
I think that you're going to see one of those draft picks used to bring a veteran in here that's going to be very important to the team. Yeah. Uh, as far as the draft, I mean, you just can't go with draft the Alabama or the Georgia players anymore. They, I mean, you, you have to. I mean, you gotta you gotta get some real results. And like, listen, you have to get difference makers. This defense, the the line looks pretty good, but they need some playmakers at linebacker and in in the secondary. And you can't always use high draft picks to get those things. So I, I I don't think we're going to be saying Howie you're fired when the draft is over, but he's got a lot of work to do. This team that we thought just a couple months ago was stacked doesn't look so stacked anymore. In the history of Philadelphia sports, I don't know that there's been a more seesawed, polarizing figure. Period. Like he was the number one most hated guy, not even close, or wasn't a number two. And then it became like they won the Super Bowl and people, and then all this Howie season. And now I feel like people are starting to kind of be like, I never liked that guy to begin with. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like I, I oh, always yeah. hated that guy, but I think he almost has a lifetime job as long as Lori's the owner. I don't think there will ever be a moment where Lori would. Everybody, nobody gets fired. It's always parted ways. So there will never be a right. time where there's a parting of the ways. Well, keep this in mind. And I, I was actually, I, I was, I was, I was doing an interview, and the Eagles have made the playoffs six of the last seven seasons. And have been the two Super Bowls. So because, Mike, we're so knee-deep in the Eagles and we pay such close attention to everything, and you're right, Howie's so polarizing. They've been in the playoffs the last six, six of seven seasons. So while you and I and, and your listeners may be saying, yeah, but he screwed this up, he screwed that up, like look at the dysfunction in the organization, I don't think Jeffrey Lurie sees it that way. I agree. I think Jeffrey Lurie sees two Super Bowls in the last seven years, six playoff appearances, and if you're being fair about it, one of the better franchises in the NFL. I mean, I who who else are we talking about that's a better franchise than the Eagles? There may be a couple that you can say are. There's not many. I I listen. I have said this over the years, many 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 times. There's a reason why every off season the Eagles front office gets poached. Someone takes a assistant GM that you never heard of and takes them because they want to know what's going on here because they say that team is always in the mix. And that's why the front office execs here are all over the league. The Eagles' thumbprints are on so many organizations in this league. So, yeah, I get it. Like, you could be the Detroit Lions and be in the playoffs once every 30 seasons. The Eagles are in every season. So, yeah, I get it. The magnitude of the expectations here. They've just gotten so crazy since that Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, like there. Listen, there's dysfunction in, in there's dysfunction in the organization. I just don't think that we pay any attention to what goes on uh, in other organizations. Like, look look at the look at the train wreck the Commanders were for years. Look at the Giants and what's going on up there. Look at the Cowboys. As much talent as they have, their owner is still the GM, and he does weekly appearances on their flagship radio station during during the season. That's never going to work. Uh, John Marks, uh, the YouTube show, Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock. You can find him at John Marks Media, uh, the YouTube show. Um, all right, so on the YouTube show, you had a situation where you had a, a burger, and there was a bug in the lettuce of the burger. You returned the burger or attempted to. Correct. I, I called. So this was this was my wife that she was actually she was sick. She had pneumonia and she felt better. And she's like, I'm really hungry. And it was like 12 o'clock. And I'm like, all right, well, order something. I'll go pick it up. So she ordered it from a, it was like a, a, a chain burger joint, not a fast food burger joint, but whatever. I'm not going to totally out them. 
And so I went and picked it up. She got a lettuce wrap because, you know, women don't eat bread anymore. You have to eat lettuce wraps or whatever. Less carbs, right, Mike? Um, so, like, she, all of a sudden I hear, like, a almost like a scream. And I look, and here's a bug that's on the lettuce, the piece of lettuce. It's not a big bug, but it's a bug. So I call, and I'm like, hey, bug on the lettuce. This dude that answered, who ended up being the G, the, he was the, oh, he's on the general manager of the store. I was like, I just want my money back. I don't want it remade. I just want my money back. I can send you pictures. I can email you pictures. I can text you pictures. And he was like, well, this stuff happens. And I'm, he's like, but I can't return your money because it was a third party order because it was ordered online. Long story short, I'm like, no, like I want my money back. I don't want that. And the guy hung up on me. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I didn't even return it. I feel like I hung up on me. He I, was annoyed. So, in the history, like, I'm always like, so when I go out to eat and, like, somebody returns or complains, I'm, like, totally embarrassed. Like, I just, I'm like, oh, my God. My right. mother's the worst. She always, like, you know, these, we went to a bar one time. She got a lime with her drink, and she said, the limes are too dry. Can you get me new limes? The, they brought her back limes. She said, they're still too dry. I said, oh, my <laughs> God. So, this, like, kind of stuff, I'm like, look. There are times when I go out to dinner and sometimes I get beat. All right. I just get beat. I'm not the guy. I will never. Now, I don't want somebody out there listening at the restaurant say, I know this guy's going to get beat and he's never going to return. But like, I've, I can't even come up with it in my head to do what you did. I mean, like, for instance, for the most part, like, if I go out to eat somewhere and it's like, eh, like, I'll eat it. If it's a steak, if I'm at a steak place and it's just totally raw, I'm going to make them throw it back on because I got to at least be able to eat it. If it's overcooked, I'm not going to complain. I'm not complaining about limes. Although I do know what your mom was talking about. They were sitting out for too long. She needed a fresh lime cut. Exactly. Mike. I know. But I, she said it back twice. At that point, you just say, all right, no lime. I'm going to go without the lime on this drink. And then maybe, maybe you like get rid of that lime and say, oh, I used the limes. Can I get more limes? Right. Yeah, I wouldn't send limes back. But, I mean, I just, I really just wanted my money back. I was like, you know, like, by the time you're done ordering at these places, it was like 16 bucks for a, a burger and some fries. And, like, like no, like, I want my money back. And the dude was like, well, I can give you store, I can give you store credit. Because then I said, listen, if you don't return my money, then I'm going to have to go on Google and Yelp. And I'm going to have to give you a poor review. Wait a second. And so now, not, are you a He did not... He did not like that. You're going to go online. Now, I'm saying you are a go online, leave review guy. Um, normally only positive reviews. Okay. Uh, I mean, I I'm not even going that far, it, it, but you're not the guy. If, like, if, I, if I've left 25 Yelp reviews, I would say two were probably <laughs> poor reviews and the rest were all positive reviews. My favorite is I, I used to do a segment about this. So when the person goes into the city group on Facebook, like down here, okay, like for instance, the Egg Harbor Township community group, what's the best pizza in the area? You've got 742 different <laughs> answers. At that point, how do you then differentiate of the 742 different pizza joints of which one is the one that you're going to now order from? And Who do you that's, believe? That's the Yelp review for me. I can't take any yeah, of these is. things serious. Some some person blasting someone, I'm like, this guy's just a clown show. Now, yeah. you're given a good positive review, but even then, I don't even know if I can accept that as maybe this guy works here. Maybe he's the wife of the, you know. Right. 
Like my well, rea- reality, reality is that like this stuff does happen at restaurants. I've worried, I worked in restaurants almost my entire life before I started doing radio. Stuff happens. It does. But give me my money back. That's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I used to do the podcast. The first uh, positive review, my girlfriend went on and gave me five stars. Such a good host. Very funny. Right. You know, so I can't take, I can't take these reviews seriously. <laughs> uh, all right, John Marks, tonight at nine o'clock. Um, you going solo tonight? Going solo. I have eighty nine uh, completely annoying Taylor Swift. Oh, I got that email uh, from my man, our boy Jimmy Shapiro. Jimmy Shapiro, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Hey, I'm going to pay myself. It's going to be like stabbing myself with a knife. Let me ask you a question. So the art of booking guests at the Super Bowl, did you have to handle all that stuff or did someone kind of handle that for you? Like it is such a roadmap of, of like a pain in the ass. Well, the, the person we're talking about who'll be at the Super Bowl, he'll, he'll offer me 20 guys I want nothing to do with. Or maybe like one of them will be like, yeah, like that makes sense. But no, it's it's a total train wreck at the Super Bowl, which kind of makes it fun. Oh yeah, it's- Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix wasn't as good as Minnesota. The Mall of America was awesome. Phoenix was kind of like, eh. Ugh. Oh, I had a great time. Like, well, after the show, like, I like. You yes. know what I like, John. I got off the air. We got off the air at such an early time that I was like, it, yes. I got out of there and it was daylight. I was like, oh, right. I actually like, you know, one of the reasons that you're not working right now is the quality of life. I had a quality of life that I was like, I'm off the air at three o'clock in the afternoon. Woohoo! Let's go. It was awesome. It was awesome. It really was like, yeah, like I, I went, I went back to the hotel, changed, took a shower, and I was sitting down at the bar for happy hour by four thirty, five o'clock. The, the night something. we were out there was Sixers Celtics. Remember that? It, we, they got bombed. Yeah, yeah, they got bombed. Yes. By the, I was over at Marley's. I was like, this is great, happy hour. Like, I, we don't. The concept of happy hour is foreign to to us. You enjoying the uh, the happy hour? I am. I am. I'm, I'm enjoying. I'm at, I'm at the parrot pickup line right now. So this is my my routine, which is get in the car. I'm first in the parent pickup line too, because if you if you leave too late, you'll be parked around the block. I love it. So I'm first today from there. All right, nine o'clock tonight at John Marks Media. John Marks, everybody here on the Sports Bash. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you next week. All right, uh, that's John Marks. Uh, we have a good time here on the Sports Batch. It's Happy Hour Friday. We're looking forward to what you guys have for us. Make sure you send them in at 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. And if you, I got something for you guys on the other side. I'll give you more details on that. That's coming up next with Paul Hudrick, the Liberty Ballers, talking about what is next for Joel Embiid? Is it time to worry about Embiid? That's next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones, who get it done. Will be on the arc for three. It's good. He ties it. Maxie with another three. Tomorrow night. Coverage begins at 6 p.m. on 97.3 ESPN. 331. That's tomorrow at 6 here on 97.3 ESPN. The Sixers and the Nets. I don't think we're going to see an Embiid-Simmons matchup. 
unfortunate. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, is here. It's Groundhog's Day, Paul Hudrick. It's Groundhog's Day, literally, figuratively, and in the Embiid world. So I know that we don't know definitively what's going on here, but kind of give us your thoughts on how the Sixers, you know, why we're not getting more information and what that is kind of signaling to you. I think the biggest thing, Mike, is, and this is speaking as someone who is married to a certified athletic trainer who is a very smart person who dissects injuries and diagnoses injuries all the time, um, who six years ago thought it was fun when I asked and now doesn't so much think it's that fun. Um, The meniscus is really complicated. It's a really weird, funky injury because um, there are so many variables as far as where, like what part of the meniscus, which meniscus. Uh, We do know it's the lateral what kind of tear is it? What's the severity of the tear? Um, and then that, once you assess all that, then it just, then you can determine, do you need surgery? Do you, is it a surgery where it's just a snip where you're just snipping a piece of the meniscus, uh, to, to get rid of the irritation or are you repairing it or can it just heal on its own? And we've also been here before with Joel Embiid. Um, we can remember his rookie year. He had to get surgery. Uh, he only played 30 something games because he had to get surgery on the knee. Um, but then in 2021, he played through it uh, because the tear wasn't significant. Um, and because, of, again, the location of it, he was able to play through it and didn't require surgery. So um, I, I think I don't think it's like that the Sixers are trying to be secretive or trying to, to, to trick anyone. I think it's that they it's it's very it's a very complicated injury. And I think what's happening now is Joel and B. It's because let's be the, 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 the bottom line is it's his body and his career and his life. So he has to be the one who has to decide the path of, you know, I I don't know all the options, but if is it surgical? Can I play through this? If I can play through this, do I want to play right now? Do I want to like it? There's just like, I think there's just so many things that they're considering. um, And so many things that we don't even know yet that we might never know because we're just never going to be privy to all that information. Um, so I just think it, it's there's just so many variables here that it's so hard to know uh, exactly the extent of the injury and then exactly how long it's going to keep him out. Um, and, and or, you know, if it's going to if he's going to manage it, if he's going to sit for a long time, we just don't know yet. I guess um, we have seen him try to manage it before. And while the team's better with him, he's not the same. That's evident. He tried last year. He was not the same player. He's tried in the past. He's not the same player. We tried to see him on Tuesday night. He was not the same player, whether that injury was related or not. Are you in the camp, Paul, that they should just shut him down indefinitely and let him kind of... If even if it's not a tear, if it's a grade one or grade two, and in the past he would have played on it, he can tolerate it. Should they just step in and say February, half of March, we'll reevaluate? It depends. So if it's something that will eventually require surgery, um, you know, if he can get that surgery, that's a snip, and he can come back in four to six weeks, I, I, that seems like the best option to me. Uh, to do that and have it heal completely. I don't know if that's on the table. I don't know if that's what he can do. Um, if it's one where it's going to heal on its own, but it's just going to take some time and like they just kind of have to manage it. Yeah. I mean, for me, like the, the best case scenario is whatever the path is that is the, that gets him the healthiest for the playoffs. Um, 
And so like, the, well, whatever that here, here's, looks Let me like, interject this question then. Yeah. What are they without him? And the longer he sits out, the further they potential or are they able? Like a couple of years ago when he broke his eye socket and, you know, they went bombs away with uh, Bellinelli and that group. They changed the whole style. They didn't fall back. They won 18 games in a row. And then, but if he's out for an extended period of time, what are they? Who can they be? Where are they in the standings when he's like, we keep hearing, like, make sure he's healthy. All right. Well, am I the nine seed? Am I the seven seed? Like, where is this team without him? Well, I would say, I mean, first of all, I would say it doesn't matter if you don't have him for the playoffs, right? It doesn't matter if you're the one seed or the nine seed. If you don't have Joel Embiid healthy for the playoffs, it doesn't matter because you're not going to win. Like you're just, you're not going to go far without a healthy Joel Embiid. It's hard, Mike, because I mean, look, we saw what Tyrese Maxey did last night. He was unbelievable. And um, if he can do, you know, not 51 points a game, but if he can, Carry a bigger scoring load. If Tobias Harris, because I think that's getting overshadowed a little bit. He was tremendous last night. And really, he's been pretty good for a while here uh, with Embiid kind of in and out of the lineup. Um, if those guys can be better, and if and, and then also half the roster is hurt. So if like DeAnthony Melton can get healthy, um, if if Nicholas Batum can get healthy, if Marcus what if, if they can have a healthy team, uh, you know, beyond Embiid, yeah, I mean, it's not crazy to think they could ride this into like a six seed. I don't, I don't think that's like right now. The Knicks and the Cavs are on fire. They're playing tremendous basketball. Um, you know, they're currently three and four. The Sixers are five. You have the Pacers who are, you know, they, they're they're getting Tyrese Halliburton back. They they just got Pascal Siakam. They're going to be in that mix too. They could, you know, potentially pass the Sixers depending on how long a beat is out. But I feel confident. That they could slot, they could be around six. Uh, the Miami Heat are a mess. I know it's the Miami Heat, and they, they seem to always be a mess and then figure out in the playoffs. But as far as regular season goes, I think they could be a finish ahead of the Heat. Um, I, I've seen, the, I really like the Orlando Magic and what they're building, but I still think they are not to that level. I still think the Sixers, I would put them slightly ahead. So I, I think it, it's not crazy to imagine a scenario where if Juwan B misses a significant amount of time, they still can't be a top six team in the conference. And if they are, and if they get a Joel Embiid back and he's healthy, they are going to be the most dangerous six seed maybe in NBA history. Yeah. Uh, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, is here. Um, so Embiid, I don't know, best guess. He's, I said the best case scenario is it's just a grade one, four to six weeks. You're still looking like he would be out till around March Madness, right? No, and it, and not only that. When you look at the look, just look at the end of February. Uh, that schedule, I think they play the Cavs twice. They play the Knicks twice. They play the Celtics. They play the Bucks. They play the Heat. Like it's it is a gauntlet that they have to close out the month of February. And it seems very likely that you will not have Joel Embiid for that stretch, no matter kind of what the diagnosis is here, um, because I can't imagine he's going to come back and play anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I, I mean it, it's it's. Four to like a four to six weeks, if that's what it is, it's they are gonna have Tyrese Max is gonna have to carry this Oof. team, and not only that, Mike. Like th- at the deadline, um, they're gonna have to do something. Uh, I, not necessarily like I don't think I still don't think you know there, there's no star player they can get or anyone that's gonna elevate them. Like I don't think if you go and get Zach Levine, I, I don't think that helps very much. If and he's hurt right now too, 
Um, if you go get a DeJounta Murray, I don't think that's helping you. Um, but I think they need to get a, a big, a, a, a more consistent big than the two guys they have. And they still probably need another wing slash ball. Like they still need other things um, that, that can help this team. And then again, bottom line, the rest of the team has to get healthy. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Like there's no way to sugarcoat it. They, they it, this is a really tough spot and they are in a lot of trouble if Joel Embiid has to miss a significant amount of time. And if it's a grade three tear, that would eliminate him essentially for the rest of the year regardless. Well, I, Mike, I think this is just my opinion. This is not inside sources. This is not, this is just me speculating. I feel like if it was that bad, if the severity of it was that bad, we w- you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation. He would already be out for the year. They would be doing the surgery and that would be that. So I don't think it's that bad. I also am curious, like when you look at the language from the team, they were pretty deliberate to say injured, not torn. Now, I don't know how you injure it without tearing it, but I think that might also say something about the severity of it, if that makes sense, that perhaps it's not this, you know, uh, and again, you know, I, I would say too, Mike, like you said off the top and you're not wrong that like when a beat is compromised, he's typically not good. Um, His body language is bad. He doesn't look good. The effort doesn't look good. But in 2021, he had that torn meniscus against the Hawks. He he struggled at times, but he was good enough that if Ben Simmons hits some free throws, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think that's crazy to say. So um, while I agree with you that a compromised Joel Embiid is not good, um, if it's oh, it's better than the alternative. Yeah, it's better than the alternative. exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. It's better than the alternative. So if there is a path where it's Again, if it's if it's not a significant tear, if it's just slight and it and it's eventually going to heal on its own, um, and you can manage it, I, it's a path like you have to take. But again, to me, that's that's up to him. Beat that's not up to the team. Um, all right, so you talk about behind him. Um, you got Paul Reed, Bamba. Uh, those are the two guys right now. So, do they have to shift their focus, maybe, or are they okay with those two guys? Well, they already wanted a big. I mean, that that was the, like Daryl Morey even has said that. I've heard that as well. People I've spoken to like they they want a big. I, I don't know the specifics of what that looks like, of what kind of big they would be interested in. Like, do they want a more traditional five who can you know rebound and rim run? Do they want a uh, you know a, a pick and pop kind of big? Um, I mean, the two biggest is like you know two former Sixers. Do they want Andre Drummond or do they want Mike Muscala? Like, which kind of guy? Are they kind of looking for? I'm not positive. Um, but to me, it's got to be one durable. It's got to be a guy that can play every night because we've seen Mo Bamba, like that's, you know, he's he's had health issues throughout his career. We've already seen that kind of come up. He's been wildly inconsistent. Even the, the, just like even the Jazz game, he was really, I mean, really, quite frankly, just like bad for the first three quarters of that game. And then he was pretty good to, to close out the game. Came up with a couple of big blocks, had a couple of big rebounds. Made a big shot. Um, Paul Reed, too. As much as I like Paul Reed, I happen to think he's a pretty darn good backup five. You see how good he was against Denver. And quite frankly, I don't think he's been very good the last two games. So I just think a guy who you know what you're going to get. Like, you know he's good. For me, it would be I know a guy is going to protect the rim, and I know he's going to crash the glass and and just have that stable kind of presence like that. Not a You're never going to – like, you're not going to find a guy who's going to replace Joel Embiid. That is impossible. Uh, you need other guys to fill the scoring void, but what you need is a big who can help 
get rebounds like Joel Embiid does and can help protect the rim like Joel Embiid does. It's very uh, disheartening hearing like, uh, oh, you might have to get Andre Drummond to fill in for Joel Embiid for a little while here. But uh, obviously – It's regular season, though. It's it's an inning – it's it's for to borrow a baseball term, it's an innings eater. Yeah. It's not it's a, a guy yeah. who you're going to rely on in the postseason. Um, Maxi for 50. He gets uh, the all-star nod last night. Just an epic return for him. And obviously they're going to need more from him. Um, I guess moving forward here, you got um, all these guys. I think Melton's coming back, uh, what, Monday night against Dallas? He's I think too. Yeah, he's, it looks like that's what Keith Pompey just reported. Yeah, so it looks like they should get Melton, Batum. Uh, Nurse said last night he didn't think there was a long term. So they can get some of these guys back. But between today and Thursday, um, what would you like to see Daryl Morey accomplish? Uh, what I what I like to see and what I think is going to happen, I think I would not be surprised to see three players come to Philadelphia and at least three players leave, if not four. Um, I think they get a ball handler. I think they get a three and D wing, and I think they get a big. Um, how that comes about, what that looks like, you know, does Kyle Lowry get bought out by the Hornets and he comes home to Philly as your kind of backup ball handler, him and Pat Bev, form kind of a dog backcourt off your bench that's just going to hound, um, you know, opposing bench units. That could be a thing. Uh, three and D wings, you know, pick a guy like, you know, the, the Nets have two very good ones that I happen to like and Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal. I think either of those guys would be an excellent fit here. Um, and then big wise, I, I saw, you know, Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports had an interesting thing where he said um, Nick Richards, uh, who's a big that plays for Charlotte. I know Charlotte, that's not yeah. going to excite anyone, but again, he rebounds, he blocks shots, uh, he offensive rebounds, and he sets good screams and he rim runs. That's kind of a good guy to have that he kind of complements what kind of Paul Reed and what Mo Bamba bring to the table. Not a shooter. That might be what some people might want more than, might, again, might want like a guy like a Mike Muscala who can pick and pop. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that by the deadline, they're going to add multiple players. And, and, it's, and I think at least one of them, if not more than one, will be impact, like playoff impact players. Like they're going to be in the playoff rotation. I think that, you know, regardless of what's going on with Joel Embiid's injury, um, you have to you have to kind of go at it like he, like he's going to play, right? Like you have to go at it like you're going to get him back because if you do and you don't do anything, you're going to feel like you wasted another year of his prime. Uh, Paul Hunter, Liberty Ballers, everybody. Don't forget the NBA trade deadline less than a week. Uh, it'll be Thursday, and uh, we'll have full coverage. And uh, appreciate it, Paul. Have a good weekend, man. You too, Mike. Take care, man. All right. Paul Hudrick, of course, LibertyBallers.com covers the 76ers. He's their editor over there. And uh, tomorrow we got Sixers and Nets right here on 97.3 ESPN. Some sad news. Uh, Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies, has passed away at the age of 76 years old. Of course, uh, the Rocky movies, very uh, big in these areas, but nationwide. But uh, obviously with the, the Philly slant to it, Apollo Creed has passed away, or Carl Weathers, who played Apollo. Yeah, Carl Weathers. Uh, he's been in all the uh, Gronk commercials for FanDuel all week. Yeah. He's the guy who picks him up in the desert that's and right. brings him in that's for right. training. That's right, that's right. Anyway, Carl Weathers, also known uh, for Happy Gilmore. Chubbs. Also in the TV show The Mandalorian. There you go. I don't know that. 
Yeah, well, he's he's the warlord in the Mandalorian. Okay, it's a very popular Star Wars. Yeah, show. it's all over uh, social media now. It's kind of a po- apparently it happened yesterday, and uh, they're confirming it today or late last night or at some point last night. So. That's a shame. Yeah, when you start to see, especially you know, um, the role that he played. Now the Creed movies um, that are now like the new Rockies. Yeah, they were like the. He wasn't really in those movies though. That was more a Sly Stallone. Deal. No, I get that, but I'm saying like you know that the the Rocky movies, which have become so iconic, um, well, they wouldn't know, be without his, him. But his name, the Creed name, is yeah. now the new franchise. Well, if it wasn't for the job that he did, because he wasn't just in one Rocky movie, he was in multiple Rocky movies, and that All ongoing four. that ongoing character run of his presence was a massive reason for the Rocky success. No offense to Sly Stallone, but even he's admitted that. The Rocky movies would not be the same without Carl Weathers. All right. For um, Football at Four, coming up with Adam Kaplan. We'll get his take on the new look NFC East, which now has a uh, plethora of new faces and coaches, and that's coming up. He is down in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. We'll talk more with Adam Kaplan in 12 minutes from now on the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I told you earlier that uh, we had a little opportunity for you to get involved with something. So tonight, the game is tonight. The Philadelphia Wings in Philadelphia tonight. I've got five four-packs that I'm giving away for tonight's game, we will send them right to you. You will get the tickets sent to your email so you can get them, get in the car, and head on up. If you want to go to the game, send me a text right now, 609-403-0973 with the word WINGS. And the first five people that do it, you'll get a family four-pack. WINGS, Thunderbird, tonight, Wells Fargo Center, 609 609- 403-0973 with your email, wings, tickets are yours, game tonight, night out, little Friday in Philly, if you're a lacrosse fan, make it happen, do it now, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973, you will have those tickets in hand, you can get in the car, start heading up. And go check out some awesome action with the Philadelphia Wings at the Wells Fargo's Tent Center. Five four-packs. Family four-pack. Mom, Dad, looking for something to do with the kids tonight? Bang. There you go. I just settled it for you. First five in, 609-403-0973. Love going to a wing. I actually have a pretty funny wing story from a friend of mine one year. I don't have the time to tell it right now, but great time, great atmosphere. Check them out. Thunderbirds. Wings, Wells Fargo Center, tonight at 7 o'clock. Text in 609-403-0973 with the word WINGS. First five, you're going. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill 
It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise, as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. Adam Kaplan is co-host of the Inside the Birds podcast, which you can find on any podcasting platform or their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. He has a lot of intel from the Senior Bowl. We're going to talk about that and some Senior Bowl standouts and more on this edition of Football at Four. Adam Kaplan is in the house on this happy hour Friday. Adam, what's up, buddy? Glad to be back from Mobile. Good to talk to you, Mike. Yeah, it was a good week. We uh, we had a really good show. We appreciate the comments. In fact, one of the sports stations in the De- Delaware Valley uh, took 30 seconds of our, our show and played it on the air, so we, we appreciate that. Uh, it was the show that dropped yesterday from the Senior Bowl. So, uh, yeah, look, it was good. Um, first time in 23 years we had totally sunny weather. Um, hmm. my, my buddy John Hansen got severe sunburn. I got it, too. I'm feeling ready. It's, <laughs> kind of funny and it, it look that that was worrisome only because we didn't know like i knew it was gonna be sunny i was look at the forecast before i leave but i was not expecting this because in mobile like this time of year it's generally raining and it was not and uh we were kind of surprised by that so learn a lesson last two years ago you had to have an umbrella it rained the entire week this time too much sun <laughs> now is john hansen still living in the area or is he, is he out of here he is no he's in south jersey yeah yeah and he uh you know i begged him for years to go i said john you'll love it and yeah he he's He's addicted to the senior ball yeah. because, and we'll go over some of the standouts uh, later, but um, so many guys who the Eagles have drafted over the years, Devontae Smith, Lane Johnson, lots of great stories of guys who've done well uh, at the next level. Yeah, and I used to write for John Hansen's uh, Fantasy Guru magazine back, way back in the day there. Yes, I did. I actually, uh, he was living in Absecon at the time. I, I know he, he always wrote a funny uh, article or something that, you know, uh, I coached baseball and his son was playing against us and I intentionally walked his kid one time and he, he, he was like all miffed that I intentionally walked his kid in a, in a Babe Ruth game. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh, all right, let's get some of the issues uh, from what you're hearing at Senior Bowl. Um Obviously, when something like this happens, everybody says, what happened? Yep. Nobody yep. seems to be able to put their thumb on, was it this? Was it that? Let's look at the culture of the Eagles now. They blew out their entire coaching staff, it looks like. So, are not we all to, of it, not all of it, Mike. That's well, on the, yeah. defense, on the defensive oh. side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball. Sorry. On the defensive which side expected, of the ball. Yeah. Yes, yeah. which was sure. expected. Sure. Um, so, what what are we hearing about the culture last season? Yeah, not all, by the way, just so you know, not all of them are gone. So to be clear, uh, just to be correct, not all of them are gone. A significant amount of them are gone. They, uh, we'll see who Vic Fangio wants to keep. But, um, yeah, so this is the first time that I've gone to the senior ball. This happened with Jeff and I, that agents would come up to us and some of very prominent players. Either they'd say, hey, what are you hearing? What would happen? Or here's what my guy said. We didn't even ask, like in, in some instances. They just, Wanted to talk. I was like, wow, okay. And just the gist was, Mike, of uh, the culture that, that like, I, I would say the, by and large, the players like Sirianni uh, quite a bit. You know, does a good job of connecting. But the staff, some of the staff could not reach the players well enough. Um, we, we all know about what happened with Sean Desai. He was reassigned. He actually did not do a bad job. That's the interesting thing about it. It's not like he did a bad job. In fact, as you know, their defense is way better with Desai than Patricia. It's, now, you want to talk about connecting. Uh, Jeff and I talked about this. We were, some of these agents said that they, they, they just were 
they just were not buying in after a while. And that, to me, is why I think Sirianni felt compelled to do something. I know I know some of the, the, the newspapers, I think the Inquirer had some, some of the stuff, but ours are a little bit stronger in terms of feeling, the side thought he, I, I believe, based on who we spoke with this week, uh, that, and th- these agents had some of the defensive players, that, that Sirianni felt compelled that he had to do something, like that he couldn't let it go on any longer. So, that, and by the way, he dealt, it was definitely his decision. I know people said it was wrong, that, oh, that Jeffrey Lurie wanted this. That's not true. Definitely not true. We, you know, people overreact sometimes to what Jeffrey does or doesn't do, but no, he, this, he was not involved this one. Now, he, Roseman and, uh, and Desai made Jeffrey aware of it, any big decision like that, when, when Desai got reassigned and, it's a, it was a, look. That's definitely something you rarely see. Like what, what a guy, a, a coordinator getting reassigned in season and, and staying with the team until the end. That that like oh, rarely happens, but it happened. So that gives a little bit better context because we, as you said, Mike, we would scratch your head. What really happened here? Yeah. Uh, just a lack of buy-in in the end. Uh, again, it's not the, the guy's really smart. It's not like he's a bad coach or anything like that. It's just for his style of, of coaching. Some of the veterans just did not connect well with it. So, it and I misspoke by saying the entire staff got blown out, but we're seeing a lot of turnover on that defensive yes. side. So yes. the the stuff that you're saying is that leadership was lacking from the coaching staff, primarily on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I would say from the agents we spoke with, that came up with multiple guys mentioned leadership and buy-in, and um, there was too much youth and or or or, or slash. Some of these guys were from the college level. They didn't have the pelts in the wall, so to speak. That was brought up um, by an agent who had a veteran player. I thought that was interesting. Hadn't really thought of that. We brought it up. Jeff and I brought that up that uh, they had some guys from the college level. But we never heard there was an issue until um, we got we, we talked to these guys on Wednesday or Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday before we left. And the other thing is, Mike, it's not that these guys aren't talented coaches. But when you come from the collegiate level, there's just a certain way guys have to be coached. And that, 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 that is absolutely part of this. When you have a lot of veteran guys, alphas, so to speak, who, who have had a lot of success, not pointing out anyone specifically, it's just certain guys. And it could also be the D-line, too. Uh, they, have a, they have a new D-line coach who, by the way, is phenomenal as a D-line coach, uh, Cliff Hurt. That guy knows how to get the job done because he's one been for many years. He's been one of the best D line coaches. Didn't have a lot of success as a coordinator, but as a D line coach, is exactly who you want. These guys are going to get coached better this season. I'm not taking a shot at the former guys, but experience and connection matters, and that's coming here. And by the way, the, the term hard coaching is coming here, folks. That you're going to hear this. We were the first person, persons, people to talk about the connection. Uh, how Sirianni believes in connecting. That was what we got from the coaches who work with Nick and Indy. Well, hard coaching's coming, folks. This is coming. Watch, watch the. Uh, if you go to training camp, watch this stuff. If, if you're fortunate enough to go. So, uh, in the end, um, you know, you take a look at Sean Desai being reassigned, basically demoted and then fired. Uh, was there an ultimate um, moment that that happened, or something that happened where Sirianni said, "This is this is the time." Uh, we talked about this on our show. Uh, the veteran leaders, I'm not sure exactly which players on defense spoke up, but guys spoke up. Nick, Nick is really good at that with his players committee, but he, he, he communicates well with his players, and some of the players spoke up and felt like, because this is something I've learned, Mike, in my 25 years, my 25th year, I've covered the National Football League. 
when players don't think they're getting better, whether they're up for a contract or not, or whatever the case may be, they, 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 particularly the veterans who have pride, they want to be, they want coaching, and they want to get better. I'm not saying that like some of these guys played well enough; they didn't. That's why the defense was so bad over uh, the final seven weeks. But guys want to be coached, and they want to, they want to, they they have to really be motivated by their coaches, not just at the side thing, Mike. There, there were issues with that defensive staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 was the problem, and this is something that we'll see when when the staff is done. We'll have a better idea for you, but um, it's 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 fascinating. We, we did not we kind of got hit over the anvil with some of these these agents coming up to us. We were not expecting this. Yeah. you never know when you go to the Senior Bowl what you're going to get. And uh, we we felt look look we got to put this out because it's it's we want people to learn. This is why we created this this format six years ago. We're not about yelling and screaming. You can go somewhere else for that. We're here to give you information so you become a smarter fan. Uh, Adam Kaplan, Football at Four from the Inside the Birds podcast, which uh, dropped today with a lot of stuff uh, on the culture from the Eagles. Uh, what about the offensive side of the ball? Um, what were some of the issues possibly in the second half of the season there that led to where we are now with Kellen Moore taking over? Yeah, the tape showed a lack of energy. Um, there's just something about the lack of energy. We got this from multiple people. That these guys got a just didn't play with the type of, of energy you have, whether you come out of the huddle um, after play was over, going back, or effort needed to be better. Body language, also leadership from some of the veteran players needed to be better. The, the, I, the Eagles don't have a bad locker room, Mike, but there's just something wrong. You know, we, we talked about this on a Friday show. I know people made fun of or, or didn't think didn't think Sirianna came off well in his, his press conference with Roseman. But this is the part that he's talking about, about the culture. You don't have a slide like this, Mike, if, with good culture. There's some kind of problem. I, I don't care what Sirianni says. There's an issue with with getting – this is on him. He's got to reach his players better. This, this is inexcusable where they, they folded. That game against – it was both sides of the football. The playoff game, they were not competitive, Mike. That's completely unacceptable. Can you believe – like, this is Jeffrey Lewis' 31st year or 30th. He, he officially got the team in 94. Can you imagine this is Jerry Jeffrey Lurie's baby, this team? Can you imagine being in his shoes and, and being in that, that Tampa Bay game? I, I would have yelled if it was my my team. I would have went after Howie and Nick. Hmm. It's unacceptable. How bad was that game? Terrible. I actually watched the coaching tape a week ago. I, I turned it off after half an hour. I, I, I did that uh, last Sunday just because I had some free time. Like that was one of the most embarrassing losses in the last 20 years for a playoff team. Uh, I know they've gotten blown out before, but... Look, the expectations were better. This is this is not a bad roster. Adam, right? they were more competitive two years ago in that game. I mean, exactly against Tampa, where there were you, Mike. It's funny there were there were guys on the coaching staff thought they overachieved on twenty one. This team, I mean, this is not. Look, we we it's our job. Also, every once in a while, we're going to call some stuff out. Nick's got to do a better job of getting his guys ready. This is absolutely on him. Uh, all right, Adam, you were down in Mobile, so let's uh, get a little intel from you. Give us a couple of uh, practice standouts, some names uh, that Eagle fans maybe should uh, you know keep an ear and an eye on. All right, well, for a position that they absolutely have interest in, and this kid came out of nowhere. I love these stories because every once in a while, a guy gets invited nobody knows anything about. And trust me, unless you're an area scout, or you, or you really are a draft expert. You don't know who Dylan Lauby is. I met Dylan uh, yesterday. He's out in New Hampshire. He was absolutely phenomenal, maybe the best back there during the week. He had a game where he lined up mostly at receiver last season, his final season in New Hampshire. He was a fifth-year senior. This is insanity. 12 receptions for 295 and two touchdowns. 
I'm going to go watch that TV copy on YouTube. I have to see this. Really good dude. Had a phenomenal season at New Hampshire. And by the way, he could return punts or, or kicks. I've likened him to, um, remember Rex Burkhead? who was a very, sure, very, yeah. very, very good build, versatility, good athlete. This kid tore it up. I, I never heard of the kid. I'll be honest with you. It's weird. I go there. I've never heard of anyone. Well, I didn't, I didn't know who this kid was. And I was like, who is this kid? So I'm fiercely looking at his stats during practice. I'm like, all right, I got to get on this. And for Sirius XM, we had him on, so that was awesome. Really nice guy. Uh, we might remember Ramon Davis or Ray Davis, who played at Temple for a bit, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, finally. He had a great week. Let's go to receiver where the Eagles need some depth. Rad McConkey was the best receiver all week. Out of Georgia's, his stats aren't great, but he's a phenomenal player. Best short air quickness and, and, and movability in, in five yards. Ricky Pearsall, who to me gets a Puka Nakua award, although Puka Nakua did, Puka Nakua did not have a great week in Mobile, but obviously he was one of the best rookie receivers the last 20 years for the Rams. But he had a great, he, but what he did is he showed some outstanding quickness. He could play inside or outside. Ben Sinnott from Kansas State, the best tight end there. Great athlete. He looked like uh, Sam Laporta to me, a little bit of junior case Sam Laporta. Now, the Eagles will be looking to add depth to their, their tight ends potentially. Jared Wiley is a six foot seven athletic wide tight end of TCU. And then defensively, Mike, Darius Robinson, and he would be a phenomenal fit because he could play DNRD tackle. He is probably the most talented defensive lineman there. But with him, it's technique, I'm told, and bringing it all the time. But he, he, was, he really flashed. Quinion Mitchell, the corner from Toledo, Eagles know him. Uh, Sirianni is very close to his head coach, Jason Cannell of Toledo. He had a great week. He's going to go in probably the, the top 20, potentially, potentially the top 15. I don't think he'll make it to the Eagles unless they trade up. Something would have to happen for him to drop to the Eagles, bike, but you're going to hear a lot about the name Quinion Mitchell, who was not highly recruited, by the way. That's why he went to Toledo. Uh, Adam Kaplan, Inside the Birds podcast. Check out the latest podcast. It's got a lot of nuggets in it. And, of course, we'll be discussing on Monday's edition of Football 4 with Jeff Mosher here. He is Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. All right, the Inside the Birds podcast, which you can get on any podcasting platform. Just search Inside the Birds and, of course, on their YouTube channel. Yeah, there's a, you know, one of the things they talked about on the podcast today that there was a strong disconnect between Sean Desai and the defensive players. And he also, Mosher, mentioned in the podcast today that one player just stopped talking to Desai during the season. Not a recipe for success when you think about it, right? I mean, so what happened with Sean Desai? Was it a situation where, and listen, I'm not going to say... There's no reporting on who the player was. Now, Adam mentioned in that football at four today um, that some of the people talking to inside the birds said the defensive backs did not connect well with him. All right, so we could start to try to, by process of elimination, um, the D-backs did not connect with him. And they kind of tuned him out and one stopped talking to him. Well, which player looked like he had an outer body experience from one season to the next? Maybe James Bradbury? There you go. See, I gave you the breadcrumbs. I walked you to the water and you did drink from it. Happens sometimes. Good job out of you on that one. 
Hearing, do, I, do I do I get a, a point for around the horn? Two points. Two points. Oh, two points. Oh, wow. So hearing the stuff that Adam and Jeff talked about on Inside the Birds, seeing what happened, I don't know. Does it make you say that Bradbury didn't have the drop-off that it would appear that there was just such a disconnect between him and Decide to the point that he didn't even talk to him anymore? I don't know that it's Bradbury. I'm just saying you can make up a reason. Like, who else wouldn't talk to him? Who? Which player in the secondary? I mean, Slay was hurt. Well, Slay did play the first couple months. So, I mean, is that maybe? Right, but it's like he said uh, in on the Inside the Burst podcast. Right. You know, and... Um, I'm assuming it's not Bradley Rowe because he wasn't there long enough. That's what I mean. I mean, some of these guys are young rookies. Okay, like, if they didn't talk to Desai... They're not playing. Right. That's a red flag. Right. Um, but, like, if Bradbury or Slate don't talk to him, then it's like, oof. Mosher, in the podcast, said that one Eagles player stopped talking to decide during the season. Right. And I bring up Slay as he was, by, by the end of the year, he was hurt. Right. Uh, you know, he, he missed the last four or five games. He was hurt, but he was still talking to the media anyway, which was hilarious. Maddox. Hurt, didn't play. Yeah, he didn't play almost the entire year. So, by process of elimination, it's got to be that, Bradbury. Who could that guy be? Exactly. And it goes back to the question you know, I asked you, Mike, for months. If Bradbury is supposed to be this high level cover corner, right? That was the whole thing on him, that he's very good as a cover zone corner and not a man corner. Why did you keep playing him in man coverage? And so then it gets back to was there is such a disconnect with Bradbury between him and Desai that even Desai wasn't even using him properly. All right. Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. A lot to chew on from the latest Inside the Birds podcast, which dropped today. Uh, Mosher, you know, reporting in there that one player stopped talking to Desai. There was a strong disconnect between Desai and his defensive players. So we'll have some of that coming up. Uh, later on in the show, we got sound of the day on the other side. And, uh, I gotta congratulate, man. Uh, we threw out the tickets for the Wings game tonight and we got a plethora of entries. Ryan, Tony, Anthony, which I guess is Tony. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they should be called Ant. So you be called Ant. Uh, Mike and Matt, you five were the five quickest to get in of all the entries. You guys are all going to see the Philadelphia Wings tonight in Philadelphia. We got sound of the day coming up next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. 426 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. Good stuff with Adam Kaplan on today's football at 4. Uh, five o'clock hour, Ryan and I are going to hang out for an hour together, talk a little Embiid, Sixers, Eagles, Super Bowl, all that stuff. It's all tonight at five. But right now, we got today's sound of the day. 
which has uh, some interesting stuff. Now, this is high-level producing work right here. Might be the nicest thing you ever said to me. Doesn't happen often. (laughs) So, I was listening to the Green Light Podcast with Chris Long. And see, I don't. This is another podcast. It's not in my rotation, <laughs> right? Right. So, but I, and I, when I had it, when I was loading through my podcast, because I typically like load them up and see what I want to listen to first. Mm-hmm. I saw that he what's was like your depth chart. My depth chart. Like, what's one on the depth chart? Uh, I mean, or they, like my the the podcasts yeah. that I listen to come out on different days. Like same. So it's like. I don't have to have, but like if there's certain ones that I like better than other, one of my favorite ones is ending. Uh, that's right. Cause Marshan's leaving. Marshan, uh, now somebody's taking it over, but I listened to it this week. It was not the same. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. No, Marshan was very good. Well, green all. light's very high on my rotation. So because... like if you're taking a cross country flight and you had to download, you know, how long's green light? Uh, green light's usually an hour or two. An hour or two. Yeah, depends okay. on what their topic is. All right, so if you had to download three podcasts to go from here to Vegas next week. Greenlight Pod with Chris Long. is in there. It's in there, yeah. Wow. If I had to download podcasts, I would probably also probably grab an episode of Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. It's a non-sports podcast. It's a So if you don't know this, Mike, but Michael Rosenbaum became famous because he played Lex Luthor on the TV show Smallville in the early yeah. 2000s. See, now I'm sorry I asked this question. And he hosts a podcast that interviews other actors, actors and directors about like the behind the scenes of like the professional lives and mental health and like things that they're dealing with, like how they deal with the real world problems as celebrities, basically. Okay. So that'd be a podcast. Those are usually like an hour, hour and a half kind of conversations, like really like, you know, deep, you know, life talk. And because it's called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. And then if I had to pick a third one, it depends on the time of year. I mean, I listen to Inside the Birds, you know, a couple times a week. I also listen to the Kelsey's New Heights podcast. I, when I get around to it, I try to tune in the Pat Bev's podcast. Uh, what else is on the rotation? The Ross Tucker podcast. That's the problem with Ross Tucker is those are short podcasts. Those are not very long. So I don't know if that'd be a great idea for a, a long flight to Vegas. You know, that's, you have to load up like five of them in a row to knock that thing out. Yeah. All right. Well, so the, Greenlight Pod is Chris Long. Now, he had an interesting guest on it. This is a good get. Yeah, so he had Shane Steichen. Mm-hmm. So, and by the way, they made fun of Steichen on the podcast because Steichen has said he's a listener to Jason Kelsey's podcast. And Chris said, well, now you've become on my podcast. You should be listening to this podcast, too. So they kind of ribbed him a little bit. But they, they had a, a half-hour-plus conversation with Steichen. And it's about a lot of different topics. But the conversation evolved into something that you, Mike, here on the Sports Bash have talked about, which is about running offenses. Because one of the elements of the conversation was Anthony Richardson. He's a young quarterback, missed pretty much this entire season, right? So Chris Long was asking Steichen about, hey, how do you deal with a quarterback who spent almost his entire life never taking a snap from under center? And then turning to him in the NFL and being like, hey, man, now I'm going to install an offense where I'm asking you to take the ball from under center. And this was Shane's second. And I thought it was interesting because what has been part of our conversation, Mike? 
Kellen Moore likes to do play action, quarterback under center. Jalen Hurts hasn't done that. People have questioned, how is that going to be an adjustment for Jalen? Well, this is Shane Steichen's answer to how an NFL quarterback should handle being asked to go under center in the NFL. Taking a snap under center, you know, even though you've been doing it in the gun your whole life, I mean, these guys are athletes, right? They're professional athletes that play quarterback in the National Football League that should be able to take a snap under center. So I think that if that's part of your game plan, you want to, you know, implement under center stuff, I think it's good to have both under center, shotgun, pistol, do all that stuff, you know what I mean, and kind of keep defenses off balance. I don't think it's far-fetched to ask a quarterback to do anything differently. You're the quarterback. You know, it's shotgun, under center. I mean, most of these quarterbacks grew up under center. It was that they had to be asked to get out from under center. That should have been the change for well, some of a lot of these schools, guys. Some of these high schools run spread offense. Yeah, I get it, but I'm, I'm like saying, like, mo, like a, when you first started playing like pee wee football, you know, in the junior leagues, sure, you you started as a quarterback under center. Um, you know, a lot of it is the timing and the footwork and all that stuff. You're at this high of a level. That's the problem, though, Shane Steichen. You're assuming that everybody has. The high-level footwork and all the timing, that's the issue, is that they don't. Well, he's saying that if you're a professional athlete, you should have those You should be able to get it, I think. You should be able to take a snap under center and understand the the footwork. But, I don't know, is Anthony Richardson a polished – is his footwork polished enough to where you can put him under center and put him in a pistol and put him in a shotgun and that all three of the results are going to be the same? I don't know. I mean, that's probably one of the, that was one of the issues with him coming out of right. college is that he wasn't there. So I hear what Steichen's saying. I think he's right to an extent that we just take, hey, these guys are high level professional athletes, put them under center, put them in a shotgun, put them in a pistol, and all the results should be the same. Eh, I don't know if I agree with that. I thought it was interesting, though, because he was very matter-of-fact. He was said, hey, you're in the NFL. You should be able to do this. And it's, it's interesting that, that that's a that's a coach who's coached multiple quarterbacks, and he's saying, look, that this is not something that should be rocket science. I, I hear what he's saying. I don't know that I agree with him. It shouldn't be. No, I agree. It shouldn't be rocket science. The problem is so many of these guys are so poorly and babied and poorly coached that we only do what you're good at. Right. You know, we're not going to take you out of your comfort zone. And then you kind of get babied along to where now you're in the pros and you've been doing it one way because basically you were babied the whole way through. Which led to the next question that Chris Long asked head coach of the Colts, former OC for the Eagles, Shane Steichen, about, Mike, one of your favorite topics this week, motion. The idea of, hey, if you have a young quarterback – and he's not used to motion. What do you do in that situation? Do you run motion anyway? Should you be running motion in the NFL? Is motion even valuable? I'm obviously summarizing, but Chris Long's point was is that, you know, he said in a league where not everyone runs the same offense, what do you do with motion and is it even useful? That's what Shane Sykin's answer. Obviously, motion can help if it gives you an answer defensively, but also it does. It creates, you know, confusion a little bit on defense with motion in a guy. They got to make adjustments, whether they're rock and roll and safeties, whatever that may be. I think uh, you use motion if you know it's going to help you. Obviously, it does create confusion as well at the same time. So it's just kind of how you, you know, you build your offense. And some plays might not have motion. Like, shoot, if we line up in this, we know what we're getting and uh, we feel good about it. 
I mean, listen, I, I don't need to be convinced that motion is what it is. Um, I don't look at the Eagles or the Niners and say, well, the Niners run motion and the Eagles don't, and that's why the Niners are successful. The Eagles were in the Super Bowl the year before, and the Niners run more motion than the Eagles do. This year, it's different. The Eagles offense, if we're only saying it needs more motion because what happened was not work. You know, it's it's the whole baseball manager. You're the player's manager. He didn't work. You got to get the tough guy. He didn't work. You got to go back to the player's manager. Well, if the Eagles offense was the year before, we wouldn't be saying they need more motion. It's just the fact that the, that, that the offense was struggling, not statistically speaking anyway. They were top 10 in the league. But we're looking for some reason to come up with as to why it wasn't what we wanted. So that's the new thing. That's the thumb. Like saying motion is a way for a novice football fan to sound like I know something. <laughs> right. They don't run enough motion. So I'm just going to say that. You just heard Shane Steichen and say mm, it's not really necessary. Right. He said there's, it, I said, he said obviously it has value. But he was saying that he's like, if you don't have to do it or it's not part of your offense, then you don't put it in just think of putting it in. You know, if you can get the... Which I feel like the Eagles almost tried to do towards the end. It felt like there was some murmurs that they didn't have motion. So they were just kind of running guys all over the field from like one side to the other. (laughs) You know, like, to me, last year... The Eagles' offense had very little motion. They were a Super Bowl team. And then this year, things don't go well, so you you say you need it. I'm not anti-motion, by the way, by any means. I just think it's a way to be like, they didn't do something, so they need to. I thought it was interesting when he said, you know, it can be confusing. Not just for the defense, but for the offense. That, you know, if you are somebody who is not well-versed enough, and this is where... Coaching awareness, I think, comes into the conversation. Well, and it's like you could be creative in play design without motion. Better right. route concepts, which I think was a big issue this year. Um, the offense was vanilla. Yeah. I think a lot of the issues the Eagles had on offense was tied to their lack of RPO. The, the, the lack of the RPO game that was so... Predictable. Um, no, which was such a... Uh, home run for them last year. It was so difficult for other teams to figure out last year, and it opened everything else up. There was no motion. The unpredictability of what Hertz was going to do, that was the confusing part about the offense. Right, and now it became predictable. Now it became something where you basically had an idea of what was going to happen on first down, second down. You know, like, for example, if if it's third and 12 – why are you faking it to the running back and then throwing it? You're the defense already expecting you to throw it. Like, what is the point of that? It yeah. was almost like they were going through the motions. Yeah, I, I listen. I, look, if you added some creativity to the offense that was not motion based, I don't think people would be talking about this as much. But I think it's the no. fact that statistically, you were near the bottom of the league, and some of the teams this year, not last year that were at the top of the league were some of the better offense. Last year, the Eagles were one of the worst teams in the league when it came to motion. The Bengals, who went to the AFC Championship game, they used some of the least amount of motion in all football. Kansas City is like middle of the pack. So you can't tell me in 2022, motion didn't matter. But in 2023, (laughs) all of a sudden, this was the thing that would have changed everything. Now, this year... 
some of the better teams were at the top. But they were also almost all of them teams that ran almost the same offense. Yeah, San Francisco was near the top last year. They were near the top again. Miami was the top team this year. They were at the top last year. They weren't a great team last year, middle of the pack. So, listen, what Steichen says, I think, is, like, more so than what he said about the under center thing, this one I tend to agree with more, is if you have good route concepts, if you have good play design, if you have good play call, that stuff doesn't matter as much. If you execute what is given to you, that matters more. The final thing that we want to take from the Greenlay pod here is they got into the Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni. Chris Long asked Shane Sykin, listen, Nick Sirianni, rough end of this past season, but he went to the postseason three straight years. So explain to me, he says, what makes Nick Sirianni a winning coach? This was Shane Sykin's answer. I love Nick. Uh, very demanding accountability is huge with him you know he wants things done a certain way which is that's their your job as head coach and there's a standard he set that standard and you've seen what he's done in three years his record speaks for itself you can't say enough I mean it's hard to do what he's done in the past three years on any team and uh it's a credit to him it's a credit to his coaches and what they've done there the last three years is pretty freaking special yeah um I think that you know um we're talking to Adam about he was talking about the culture on the defensive side of the ball. And it was more like in the defensive back room. It sounded like, uh, you know, from Adam that there was, you know, sec- guys in the secondary uh, that had some issues here. And we had some text messages on that that said the culture issue that Adam is talking about is why I'm so critical of Sirianni. You hear what Shane Steichen said there. You hear what Jason Kelsey said. You hear what many of these players have said. That anybody is critical of Sirianni because of that is lost me. You've lost me. Um, you heard what Steichen said. The accountability, he's very demanding. And that's what Kelsey also echoed. These guys, and Adam said this, they love playing for Nick. That's why Nick is still here. Because... The organization and the players see that he is demanding and has high accountability. He tried to let Desai work through this thing until it became unattainable, uh, untenable, I should say. And some woman would say, well, the fact that he showed the players that you cannot talk to the coach and took the, the, the player's side, you know, is showing the players that it's okay to act like that. No, that's not showing the players that it's okay to act like that. But you get to a point where you talk to your leaders and your leaders say, look, we've lost faith in the coordinator. And at that point, as the CEO, as the head coach, you have to make a decision you probably don't want to make and say, we hired this guy and he's not getting the job done. And now I have to do something that's probably going to make me look bad, but I'm willing to take that I'll take that one for the team if it doesn't work out. And he did that. And that, to me, is listening to your constituents. And this could have happened earlier. It might not have happened all in one week. Who's to say, like, it didn't happen in week nine? And they said, hey, man, you know, some of the things that are going on here. And he said, no, let's give him a chance. Let's give him a chance. Right. I think this displays that Sirianni was a good leader. Now, I think the decision was poor. Right. It blew up in his face. He might have had good intentions, but had a bad result. Absolutely. You know, that you had a situation where the players weren't talking to this coach. They didn't believe in him. 
and you listened to them and didn't say, I don't care, keep playing for this guy. Right. Um, I think what we heard from Shane Steichen there is, look, you can hear from Jason Kelsey. Okay, Jason Kelsey, he plays for the team. What else is he going to say? And you might say, what else is Steichen going to play? Say, he was very demonstrative in how demanding and how he holds players accountable. Those two things there is why Nick Sirianni is the head coach of this team still. And really quick, also, let's not forget, you know, Chris Long on the podcast also said last week, he talked about how, you know, you can have a good head coach, he said, but there could be another coach in the building that is basically messing it up for everyone else. And Chris didn't say messing it up. He said a curse word. You know, he explained, you know, he said, I said, I've been in locker rooms. He said, we have a good head coach, but there's another coach in the building who is sabotaging the locker room or ruining things for everyone else. So it has to make you wonder, you know, Sirianni might have been doing his job, but maybe Desai and whoever else was ruining it for the team. Yeah, and I think what Sean Desai's issue was was communication because I think Nick liked liked, um, the schemes and everything. I think the problem was his communication with communicating things to his players, right? according to some of this reporting that is coming out from Jeff Mosher, seemed to be the issue. Jeff said in the podcast, quote, there's a difference between being smart, well-educated, and considered a really good schemer, which Sean Desai was when he got to the Eagles. That's what people would tell us about him. And then being a good leader, connecting with your players, understanding what their needs are versus what your needs are, making it work when times are tough. And that is the area that I didn't realize was impacted the most. I didn't realize until taking uh, talking to some people down here, agents who represent some players, on just how big the gap was between where the Eagles were on defense and where Sean Desai was. And those two factions not being able to meet in the middle and having an understanding of each other. And that is when you as the head coach have to make a decision. Are we going to keep just putting the square peg in the round hole or am I just going to try to do something to save our season? And I give him credit for that, for saying, I'm going to do something that might not go over well, but I got to do something. Otherwise, this is going to get worse. And I give him credit for that. Yeah, the the willingness to to attempt to fix the problem sometimes is almost more important than if you fix the problem because it shows a willingness to listen to people when they come to you. You know, if and, and whoever the player is, you know, where we were making the assumption that maybe it was Bradbury, but who it, it, for all we know it could have been Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham walking in. Well, to Adam, Sirianni's office. Adam, and you know, mentioned and he wrote in in our notes uh, that he sends me before our shows stuff that he has that he wants to talk ta- touch on. He said um, some agents say their defensive backs did not connect well with him, so he mentioned defensive backs by. By name, no, no, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is that there might have been someone who was not a defensive back who was maybe like in a defensive meeting, and who has been talking to defensive you know backs, and maybe that guy goes to Sirianni and is like, Nick, I was talking to so and so. That's a possibility. I mean, I, I could understand, but I could see Darius Slay too being like, listen, Nick, like I like Sean, sure. but we got problems here, and you know my relationship with Patricia. But we might need to think about doing something. Who knows? I have no clue. That would actually be an amazing move by Slay because that would be a huge sign of maturity on his part to be like, you know, I'm not just telling the media that me and Patricia are, you know, we're good. I'm going to the head coach of the team being like, 
Nick, I'm telling you, we're so good, I'm recommending you do this. A happy hour Friday on the Sports Bash. Hey, text in your favorite happy hour Friday beverage for the weekend, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Some happy hour Friday picks for the weekend. I got a plethora of picks for you, Josh. CC, very intrigued. Are you intrigued? Uh, I'll, do, uh, I'll deal out a couple of the uh, the happy hour Friday picks for the day uh, on the other side. We got Ryan in the 5 o'clock hour. It's happy hour Friday. It's a little rainy. It's a little messy out. But send me your favorite happy hour Friday taster for this weekend. What's your beverage of choice? By the way, the whole dry January thing is over. So this should be a good happy hour Friday for the people. Should be a big happy hour Friday for the people. Should be. Should be. Get excited. Come on. Send them in. 609-403-0973. Share away. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 452 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. It's a happy hour Friday. What do we got coming in here on the text board? 609-403-097. This one's interesting. Jim at OCC says, Jefferson Ocean Bourbon Old Fashioned. You know, a couple weeks ago, I said that I had a, I had an old fashioned. I went outside the, the box. I was over at Little Water Distillery. Oh. Had an old fashioned over there. I mean, they only have liquor. I don't really drink liquor, but so I went old-fashioned. Had a one old-fashioned. It was excellent, by the way. And I said to my buddy, now I know why people who drink <laughs> liquor like this drink. I'd be in a lot of trouble if I just kept drinking old-fashions all day. Yeah. Good one, Jim at Ocean City. Jefferson go. Ocean Bourbon Old Fashioned. I like to try that. The Angry Orchard Fireball Shot. I think I'm out on that. Fireball? I've had that before. I've had it. I mean, I was a younger man. I mean, Angry Orchard is not my favorite. Um, That's the apple beer, right? Yeah, the apple beer. It's not my favorite apple beer, but I mean, it's, it's a solid choice. You know, it's a hot day outside. You want to cool down? Sure. Um, all right. I had a beer over the weekend called Justin a Haze. Justin a Haze from Bavino's Brewery. Okay. Pretty good. Not great. Pretty good. I liked it, though. It was I worth like the it. Name. Uh, a freshie, it was called. Freshie from Downriver Brewing. Solid. Okay. Had a little vanilla on the back end. A little vanilla in the... It was very hoppy on the front end. Vanilla on the back end. Yeah, you usually don't like the stuff with the extra flavors in there. Uh, Hopmonger. Hopmonger. Okay. This was uh, pretty good. Like the Hopmonger. Who makes that? Uh, the Well Crafted Beer Company is the name of the uh, brewery. Oh, better, better be well crafted. You guys have the Well Crafted Beer Company. Should be. Should be. Uh, there's a couple. I have a couple more for you uh, at the end of the show. 
Happy Hour Friday. I gave you a hot monger. Freshy. Justin Hayes. By the way, Freshy has a 3.9 out of 5-star rating on my untap. Uh, hot monger has a 3.9. So both of them, almost a 4-star rating out of 5 on the untapped app. So if you have a beverage for Happy Hour Friday, send it in. 609 403 0973. I've got uh, one, two, three, four more that I have for you next hour. One of them was uh, very high. Very high. All right, that's next. Uh, Ryan Rothstein, we're at uh, Ocean on Monday. Uh, he's going to join me for the final hour today on The Bash. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, after five on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. It is a happy hour for Friday. We're here with you till the top of the hour tonight. A lot to get into. By the way, have you seen the new... Phillies uh, leaked jerseys that uh, have been kind of circling uh, the internet. Uh, they're like a blue, yellow. I hate them. They're horrible. I, I don't like them at all. Um, all right, happy hour Friday, everybody. We got a lot to get into. Joel Embiid, obviously, the news there, not good. It's Groundhog's Day. That's the apropos. It's Groundhog's Day for Joel Embiid again. And uh, obviously, he is uh, hurt, and we'll see for how long and what it means. But uh, I, I think you look at this team, and uh, it has certainly changed the feeling and the direction moving forward. All right, let's bring Ryan Rothstein, my Monday partner on the show, to finish out this happy hour Friday. But uh, when you see the news on Embiid, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's Groundhog's Day. It's apropos. <laughs> yeah, it's It's a little bit too convenient. My goodness. Of course, on Groundhog's Day, we get a literal Groundhog situation with this dude. It's unreal. I think, um, so we started out with a tear. Then that tweet got taken down. Then it got changed to an injury. I don't know. What do we feel about where this team is? And, like, you know, the whole thing is you have some people saying he should sit out the rest of the year. Even if he misses a lot of time, the team's going to start to – I don't know. Do we think they can stay afloat in the standings to make it where he comes back? It's in where the, I don't know what to make of this whole thing now. I, I mean, I don't either, except we should have saw, we should have seen this come, coming, right? I mean, like, this is what always happens, right? And the bottom line is, is he going to be healthy for the playoffs, MG? That's the bottom line. So I, I, I think the answer to your question is you do whatever it takes to get to that solution, right? I mean, we don't have a crystal ball. You could do everything right, and he's still not 100% come playoff time, but you have to sit down. You have to figure out whatever plan that you feel most confident will get you as close to a 100% Joel Embiid as humanly possible because that's – listen, you don't have 100% Joel Embiid. You ain't getting out of the second round. You might not get out of the first round. That's the problem is, and that's, I talked about this earlier when I had Johnny Marks on. I said the depth of the East is part of the issue here. The East is so much better than it was. So let's say Embiid misses four to six weeks and on the early end, he's back in four weeks. You're missing the entire month of February. Well, where you are today and where you could be on March 1st can be completely different. And 
Yeah. That is why it's like, what do you do if you're the Sixers in terms of how do you, you know, how do you handle this next? I, I don't know. I They said, we'll reevaluate it. He's not going to play this weekend. Everyone's going to play Wednesday night against the Warriors again. I mean, come on. They already tried that once and that blew up in their face. So I don't think anybody out there listening thinks that there's any possibility that he's playing again in the next four weeks. So let me ask you something, and I'm not going to – listening out there and you as well, MG, don't twist my words here for trying to make excuses for Joel Embiid because I'll be as critical as anybody regarding him. But should we put any blame and should we question the the medical staff with the 76ers? That's been a popular conversation over the years. And, like, the, last night, post-game interviews with TNT – Maxi, he said something, and I sort of just scratched my my head a little bit. He was like, I wasn't going to play. My ankle's not 100%. But then I was like, ah, screw it. I'm going to play. I'm like, wait, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think it's a fair question of, like, who is who's held accountable for what happened with Joel Embiid the other night? Like, that to me, if I'm the person in charge of that organization, I want to know. if I, I'm just assuming that, I don't know. Daryl Morey, or is this above Morey? Is this like the Josh Harris level? And Josh Harris right. isn't there. He, he's doing stuff with Washington right now. He's seeing all this stuff come out about Joel Embiid. Like, I want to know, what happened? Who told him he could play? I wasn't there. I watched the game. I'm talking as Josh Harris. Like, I wasn't yeah. there. I watched the game. What the hell was he doing on the floor? Who needs to be held accountable for that is what I think. Yeah, and and that's a, that's a different conversation because I I also look at his injury in Golden State and I don't I'm not the pe- one of the people out there saying ah oh, see he shouldn't have played like that's a freak injury that's a freak injury I, I don't think we can sit here and say wait 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 you know, the Golden State when Joel Embiid got re got hurt on what night was that uh, Tuesday I don't know Tuesday night yeah Tuesday night right I mean that's like that's just a freak, a freak thing. Yeah, the but, fact that the guy falls on him is is no question. But come on, man, that whole night he didn't look right. The whole night. No, he didn't. He he didn't. You're right, and he really hasn't looked right for a few weeks. Like just little things. He doesn't go. He's not explosive going up, attacking the rim. He's just he's always a little bit sluggish and mopey when he doesn't need to be a hundred percent locked in. That's sort of him, but. You know, still, it's he has been off, and I just feel like they haven't had it planned. So, like, who's leading that charge? Who, who's to blame? Well, there's a lot of weird reporting here that, um, you know, that he kind of talked his way into playing. The whole fact that he didn't play in Denver and that he didn't like the fact that he was being criticized for not being there. Then you have this whole 65 game thing that comes yeah. into play. You know, how does that factor in? And him saying, I don't want to be keep getting told that I, uh, I, it just, it's just a whole weird situation. But for me, I watch that game and I'm thinking this Joel just doesn't look right. Even like, you know, I know Van Gundy, a lot of people don't like, but he was like, yeah, you know, it, it's a little uncomfortable here. Like the team's actually been better with him off the floor than than on the floor. And I think just the whole thing just kind of blew up in their face. The perception, and who cares about perception, but, you know, sometimes it is reality, right? I mean, most of the time it's not. Sometimes it is, though, right? And then the perception, like, nationally, and definitely some in some cases locally, 
is that, you know, Joel Embiid is soft and Joel Embiid is, is the problem, right? Like, what's the narrative around Joel Embiid in your mind? And, and like, part two, do we trust this guy to be able to lead this team out of the Eastern Conference even, not even win a freaking title? Like, can he carry a team physically, mentally, emotionally? Like, I have doubt. I really do. Maybe that's unfair. No, I, I think it's fair because of a couple of things. Like, the fact that he's never done it. Now, I will say this. He's been hurt before, but he has tried to gut it out at times. We've never really seen him. Like, you know when the best he ever played in the playoffs? When you think about it, was in the bubble. And he played in the bubble. He was great. And just the rest of the team stunk. But he was oh, healthy. They got swept, didn't they? Four-game sweep? Right, but I'm saying that was the best that he had played in the bubble. The team got, I said, they got beat up. They got yeah. the rest of the team stung. But he actually, because why? He sat out for three months. He wasn't hurt. He came back, and he was healthy and ready to go. Like, by the time that Joel Embiid gets to April 20th when these playoffs start, what version are we getting? Probably not the one you need. And But it also, like you say, we've seen him gut it out. And, yes, that's true, right? I mean, he, he played a playoff series with, like, a broken face, a broken hand, and, like, diarrhea. I mean, like, the dude had everything, <laughs> you know, head, shoulders, knees, and toes on WebMD. My goodness. But I also don't – I also feel like he doesn't gut it out, and that's part of the problem. And then when he tries to gut it out, it's too late or he's not accustomed to doing it, right? Like, I don't know. I, I just – I don't, it feels like they're doing the same thing over and over, year in and year out, year after year, and they're expecting different results and they're not getting. Well, that's, and, and the reason is, is because they keep depending on the same guy. And the problem is, the same guy that you're depending on, you should be trying to depend on him. He would be the guy you want to depend on. Unfortunately, something always seems to happen and it's always bizarre. I mean, it's like, it's through no fault of the guy's own. Like he collides with uh, Markel Fultz and breaks his eye bone. He got elbowed by somebody, broke his other eye bone. The guy falls on him the other night. You said it's a free. Like these are a lot of times no fault of his own. Even though he is, I said to my dad today, he is the most graceful, ungraceful guy I've ever seen. He the can most be coordinated, uncoordinated. Yeah. He could be Kobe Bryant in one minute and then fall over, trip on his own. Like, hey, you just tripped on the foul line. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it really is. He looks like me one minute and he looks like an athlete the next. I, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it. it. It's, they should be building around him, right? Obviously, but it's like they keep taking the bubble wrap off, but they're like, well, let's leave this bubble wrap, you know, close by. We're going to have to put it back on for a game and then we'll take it off and then we'll put it on. And it's like, they are freak injuries, but I don't know. I, do we believe in coincidences to this degree? Um, I don't know what else. I mean, what, how else are we supposed to take this? Like this guy just has bad luck. He's, uh, he's uh, the, the peanuts character that, what's that, uh, that has the, yeah. That the that has the dark cloud over him all the time. Yeah, I, it seems like he definitely has some of that. But it also, listen, luck is just a reality, right? Some of the greatest of all time, they had luck in their corner. But I think you make some of your own luck too. Like I, I think he could Pig be doing Penn. something different. Pig Pen's the guy's name. Okay, there you go. Good pull. So I, I don't know. I, I just. 
for a guy, for, for myself, for someone that has been trying to convince a lot of the doubters all year, like, hey, this team can make a finals run. This team is good enough. They don't even need to make a trade. It's like now I'm sitting here like, man, I, I don't I, I'm not that confident guy anymore. I just don't know how to feel. Well, listen, if it beats out. We know the answer to this quiz, right? We, we, it's like when yeah. the, it's like the kids today. Like when we had to take test in high school, yeah. we didn't get the test before the test was given. These kids now, like, hey, here's a copy of the test. Go memorize it because you're going to get the same exact test <laughs> on Friday. No, we're not getting the answer to the questions here, but we <laughs> have the answer to this one. If Joel doesn't bleed, doesn't play, they ain't doing anything. And quite frankly, to me, here's the issue. Joel Embiid sits out for four, six weeks. Now we're talking about cardio and Rusty and getting him back involved. And now you're back at the same situation that you're constantly in. Is that, oh, is he able to get back, ramp back up fast enough? And I don't, my opinion, I don't see any scenario. And I hope I'm way off on this where four to six weeks we're watching him play. I I I don't see any other reality that we can live in. I, the only reality that I see is sort of what you just outlined. He's going to have to take a month, if not longer, off because they're going to need to get him a hundred percent. Like you can't you can't be toe in the water, half in, half out, right? Like you can't say, all right, we're going to sit him out two weeks. All right, you're eighty percent. Go ahead, go play against Boston. Ah, back to 70%, sit out for a week. No, like now's the time. You just have to figure out a way to rest them and get them 100%. But then you just outlined all the problems that go along with that. So it's just, here we are again. And I think we're going to be entering another postseason. I pray I'm wrong, where we have a, a Joel Embiid that's not 100% and he's not 100% in conditioning. It, it's it's, unre- it's unreal. Yeah, and it's 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 weird too. It's disheartening because of the situation that we have here. Here's a Sixer team that not a lot of people were excited about. They changed the coach. And it was like, eh, whatever. Like, well, second round, get to get out of it before I start to care again. But it felt like they did get some people. Like the the coaching change and beats playing out of his mind. He's having a historic, and then Maxi. The team became likable. These three pieces they got in the Harden trade. It was like. Hey, I like this team. They're fun. And now this. I'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. But I've brought this up to you in previous years and off seasons. Like, if we get the same old result this year, fair or unfair, you know, if it's because Joel Embiid's not 100% and the team loses in the second round, here we are again. I'm sitting here saying in the off season, if I'm Daryl Morey, Harris, whoever, like, we need to figure out a way where Joel Embiid isn't the number one option anymore. Like, maybe we give the keys to Maxi, or we seriously have to figure out in the offseason how to bring a superstar in to play alongside this dude. So he has a lot of the pressure taken off him because it's just – he. I don't know if he can get it done. Yeah, that's – well, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we asked for years about a big guy. Uh, Jokic won it last year. I mean, do you not put Embiid in the same category? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, if Jokic was able to be the best player on that team, do we say that Embiid is not on the same level and therefore he couldn't do it as well? No, I think I know Embiid's on the same level as far as talent and what they're able to do, but – Come playoff time, fair or unfair, it's always different. So I don't know. 
I put them at the same level, but then I say to myself, they're not on the same level, right? It's like the Lamar Jackson debates we've had. It's like Lamar Jackson's the MVP, arguably the most talented guy in the NFL. But no one's putting him on the same level as Mahomes because he hasn't gotten it done when it matters. So I think when we were at uh, last at Ocean, we're going to be at Ocean on Monday. Stop out and see the show live at Ocean Casino. Mike and Ryan, of course, the sports special Monday at Ocean Casino's gallery, bar book, and games. So I think you were kind of like, I think this team can win a title. Like, have you, after this news, have you changed that that stance? <sighs> if it beats 100%, I still feel that way. But like I said to you a few minutes ago, this injury now is not going to go away. It seems like at this moment, Mike, it seems like this injury is not going to go away. And if Embiid has to miss four to six weeks, then we're talking conditioning, then we're talking pampering, and then we're talking him not 100%. Right? If we go down this road again, which it looks like we're on it, <laughs> no, I don't feel like this team can win because you need Joel Embiid to be 100% MVP Embiid. I, that's, I think that's obvious, right? I do you have confidence right now? I, don't well, know how I, you could. I, I wasn't even as confident as you were. Like, I didn't even think this yeah. team, like, to me, I think that they can get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I wouldn't have them beating Boston right now. But I think, here's the thing, though. Here's the problem I have. I think they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals because I think they could have been the two seed. That's it. That's that's everything. You took the, the words out of my mouth is they could also make a run but they need to be making a run now. They need to position themselves and set themselves up for success. Absolutely. Like, you, you can't wait around for Joel for four to six weeks and think that you're going to be in play for the two seed. Right. That, I mean, that may be, but no, I'm not going to predict that. It's it's probably not going to happen if he's missing time like this. Right, exactly. And, and that is the disheartening part about the whole thing is that, you know, uh, you don't exist in a vacuum. Not everybody's hitting the pause button around you. And as you're playing games now with Joel for the next, I don't know, four weeks minimally, I guess. I mean, they haven't given a timeline for anything yet, but I don't know. What's your anticipation? When they come out and finally say what's up, what, do you, what are you anticipating? What are you bracing for? What's the, Woj, what's the Woj bomb going to say? I'm bracing for impact. I mean, I, I think the oxygen masks are going to drop, and we're going to we're going to have to fasten our seatbelts. I, I mean, that's how I look at it. I, I I'm not a doctor, but I don't. I think best case we're going to get like four weeks of no Joel Embiid, yeah. right? And may, maybe three. It's going to be like three to six weeks no Joel Embiid, and then the other question that we haven't brought up is okay. Let's just assume it's three to six, four to six, whatever. How does that? impact or change what this team is going to try and do here as far as getting you know improving the roster they're running out of time they're running out of options but still they are um and then you got the trade deadline next week right that that's my point like do they go and try and make a, a call a, a panic move type of a thing i mean I, I don't know who's even still out there right now that i'll get excited for it's uh, disheartening to say the least, and, and again, it's apropos that it lands on Groundhog's Day because this just constantly uh, keeps happening. By the way, somebody texted in. I don't know that this is accurate. It says Mike, the dude with the cloud over his head was from Little Abner, not Peanuts. No, it, it was Pigpen, right? Mm, I I thought it was Peanuts. Yeah, but hey, I and certainly he, and he actually signed it. Disappointed fan AJ from Courthouse. 
Jeez, disappointed in us over that. That's a little bit aggressive. Disappointed that I didn't know, but I, I um, no, who's the guy? He's got constantly has the cloud that follows him all over his head. It's not Pigpen. Pigpen is not the guy with the cloud on his head. Pigpen is the dirty guy that always has like the dirt following him. There's a guy that walks around and has like the cloud that just follows him. Uh, you, you should be able to find that answer pretty quickly. You or Josh, no? So maybe uh, that guy's right. Maybe it is. Um, yeah. Oh, Josh. Gave, well, by the way, Josh gave me Pigpen, and I took for granted, and I didn't fact check him, and I probably should have. Wow. That's on, yeah, that's, that's on, on that's on you. That's my fault because yeah. Pigpen is not the guy I'm thinking of. The guy that <laughs> walks around in the cloud follows him with the rain everywhere he goes. Who's Nick that? Sirianni. <laughs> well, we'll, we're going to get into that next. Good uh, lead-in. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We have the first sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 527 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Mike Gill, Ryan Rothstein's with me uh, for the rest of this uh, segment. Talk a little and be there. I don't know if you got a chance to hear any of the Inside the Birds podcast today with our friend Jeff Mosher, uh, but some interesting things regarding Sean Desai and the defense down there. He basically insinuated, here's some of the stuff there. According to Mosher, there was a strong disconnect between Desai and the defensive players. Mosher also said that even one Eagles player stopped speaking to Desai during the season. So, Obviously, something was going wrong on that side of the ball. Do you give credit for Sirianni stepping in and doing something, or do you say that he should have helped them figure it out? Uh, I'm not giving him credit. I know I'll start there. Um, what was like? I'm curious what what the disconnect was. I'm not expecting Mosher or you to have that answer, but like, okay, so what was the disconnect? Why wasn't this well? There was some reports sure. there that um, people thought that he was a smart guy, that he just wasn't a confident play caller. That was being reported by the Inquirer somewhere when this was all happening, and then that basically that there was a gap between where the players were on, were on the defense and where Desai was, and that basically the two factions were not able to kind of meet in the middle of of what they saw and what he wanted them to do. So I guess Sirianni kind of stepped in and said, we're going to make a change. I mean, did, <laughs> did he step in? And if we want to give him that credit, did he, didn't he? did he step in a little bit too late? And I think that's the problem of Nick Sirianni being so hands-off is he's not able to take the reins when he needs to take the reins. Like ah, he's see, so- I, I disagree with that. See, that's the thing is when did the players start to tell him, hey, Nick, man, we got problems here. And Nick might have said, we're 8-0. What do you want me to do? We're 9-0. What do you want me to do? But in that 8-0, 9-0, there started to be some issues, but they kept winning. And Nick's thinking, I can't do anything. We keep winning. That would look terrible. I can't get rid of the guy. And then when they lose two games in a row, I then take my chance to step in. I'm not talking about firing them or demoting them. You know, I'm talking about 
One, if you're the NFL head coach, and despite being 8-0, 9-0, and I know, listen, going 9-0 is not an easy feat. So you got to give some credit there. Uh, easier said than done with hindsight. But he had to have been able to see and assess that the team was not going in the right direction despite winning. Like, he, you, you, you have to predict and be able to analyze what you have and say, you know what, this isn't a championship team right here. Like, yeah, we're 8-0. We figured things out. Jalen's been great late in games, but, you know, this ain't working. And you have to be able to see the players aren't really picking up what they're putting down, right? Like, so that's where I say it's on Sirianni. You don't agree? I don't know. I mean, he is the guy that's in charge of things. I think when you take a look at, hey, we're having issues over here. He wants to back his coach. He doesn't want to make this move, but the players start to say coach. Because one of the things Shane Steichen said, uh, this was good stuff. Steichen was on the Chris Long Greenlight podcast. Yeah. Um, to which one of the things he talked about was motion in the offense. I thought that was a good <laughs> comment there. But, um, cause you and I went, uh, had a little discussion off the air about motion in the offense. But this was what Shane Steichen said about Sirianni. Take a listen. I love Nick. Uh, very demanding. Accountability is huge with him. You know, he wants things done a certain way, which is that's their your job as a head coach, and there's a standard. He set that standard, and you've seen what he's done in three years. His record speaks for itself. You can't say enough. I mean, it's hard to do what he's done in the past three years on any team, and uh, it's a credit to him. It's a credit to his coaches, and what they've done there the last three years is pretty freaking special. All right, so there's two words. If I were to say to you, now you played for me. I was your coach. And if someone yeah. was to say to you, Ryan, what kind of coach was Mike Gill? And if you said demanding and accountability, I would say I did my job. Like those are two things I would hope as a coach. Now, I don't know that those are the words that are accurate about me. I'm just saying about Sirianni for someone to say he is very demanding and accountability. The word accountability is interesting because it's the same word Jason Kelsey used when he described Sirianni. So I feel like there is some sort of, you know, synergy here of how these players and his, his fellow coaches feel about him. And cause we keep asking, what role has he had in the success of the team? He doesn't call the plays. He's not a defensive guy. So what role? Maybe it's that, that he is demanding and the accountability, that's where the organization and the players value him. I'm sure that's true, right? Like, I can hate on him all I want, but the reality is you don't get an NFL head coaching job if you don't have some excellent leadership skills. <laughs> I mean, even for a guy, like, even for the past head coaches in the NFL that have failed, right, like, they're still – I'm sure some excellent leadership qualities that they possess to get that position to begin with. So I don't doubt that he's demanding and he holds himself and his staff accountable, right? Like, I think all that's true, but like, I think you have to have a little bit more awareness when things are going wrong. I think you have to be able to be a little bit more micromanaging when you have to be right. Like that's where I think, his plan and vision X's and X and O wise on the field. That's where I question him a little bit, right? Like maybe he puts a little bit too much onto his coordinators. And now we have to have these excellent coordinators in order to be successful. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, well, listen, that was the formula that got them to one Super Bowl. We had Shane Steichen, a very high-quality call, um, play caller. We had John Gannon, who got a head coaching job. We had strong leaders around our leader. And now, last year, I think one of the things that looks apparent here is he did not have strong leaders around him to accentuate what he does well. And he had to then almost become more of a leader. And then you almost have to play good cop and bad cop at the same time. Yeah, and I will say this. I I I could understand why someone would say, I like, Ryan sounds like an idiot because let's also be real. Any Super Bowl winning team has to have strong coordinators, right? I mean... You can't point to a championship team where you say, man, that offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator stunk, but they won the Super Bowl, right? So that's sort of a Captain Obvious statement, but I think it's about Sirianni's ability to develop those guys in those positions, right? Like I I think it was a failure from a whole organizational standpoint, from Sirianni to front office to ownership with their approach going into this previous season. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and listen, I, 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 you know, Peter King said something last week. Uh, he was on actually with Carlin and Joe before me one day talking about what front offices are looking for from their coach. He said, you know, his, his comment was like, I think there's this misconception that fans think that these coaches are puppets, essentially. Like, uh, here's what he said. Take a listen. Coach the team and advise on the draft. But do it the way the old New York Giants did, which always got Bill Parcells ticked off. You coach the team, you make suggestions about the draft, but we're going to have another guy who's going to pick the players. I think that more than anything is what I am learning about the way that NFL owners, club presidents, and GMs want this to go. So, you know, he's saying that, like, back in the day, you know, there was this. But now, and I say this, like, I said this the other day, if I was the GM of the team, I want to be able to do my job. I was hired to pick players to help this roster, to scout, evaluate. I don't want you, Ryan, as the coach, telling me how to do my job, and you as the coach don't want me to tell you how to run the ball or throw the ball. So there's this balance of him saying there's a streamlined effort that you as the GM are going to take input from the coach and then let me do my job. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but you also have to be you also have to be in sync with one another, right? Like you have to be on the same page. Like Sirianni has to be able to sit down with Howie and say, All right, we have our coordinators in place. Here are the areas where I think we need to improve talent wise, and these are the type of players that I would like in this system. Right? If it's if there's a disconnect there, then I think that's the issue. And if it's too one sided, whether it's on the coach to one-sided or vice versa where a lot of people believe that to be the case where it's too one-sided with Howie then that's where like the the problem is right I'll, I'll ask this why do we think Bill Belichick didn't get a job out of the six vacant head coaching positions I think you just heard the answer from Peter King there right. it was he wants to run it the way that he ran it in 2015 and they're saying we don't want that anymore we don't want you to t- I'm the GM I don't want you telling me how to do my job and you don't want me to tell you how to do your job. You need to trust me. I need to trust you. We hired you to be the coach. I was hired to do my job. And that's basically like you can't fault people for that, right? No, uh, no, you can't. 
right? You can't. I, no. But I think you also have to be able to trust certain people are able to scout and pick out the guys that will work best for their system as a head coach. Like, I'm sorry. I think Bill Belichick would be a welcome addition, right? And if I'm the GM, I say, all right, I typically would do my job A, B, and C. Now I may only do B and C because I have this guy. Like, well, is it part of the flexible. Bill Belichick thing that what happened here was, hey, once Brady left, they didn't do well. And part of the reason why they didn't do well is because Belichick did a terrible job drafting for that team. Like, they did a terrible job restocking the roster so that Brady covered up a lot of the problems and mistakes they made in the draft. He leaves and now you can't cover up the problems, and your drafting has been, quite frankly, in New England, their drafting has been terrible. In recent years, it has been, but I think we, I know, we could probably pull, you know, pull up a ton of examples where he hit the nail on the head with guys that no one had their eye on, late draft round picks, undrafted guys that Belichick scooped up. He was scouting in the middle of nowhere. Um you know, I also think they weren't willing to spend money. Like, there was a lot of things that went wrong in New England that weren't all on Belichick. But, you know, I think that's maybe beside the point. But I think egos get in the way a little bit in today's game. Like, no, we're the front office. No, we're the ownership. No, we're going to do it this way. And you need to get in line or you're going to get the boot. That's what I fear. Um, yeah, the concept of why is Sirianni here? Well, do get rid of these coaches. See, this is the thing. And this is why I, I, I look, I thought Sirianni was on the hot seat and should have been on the hot seat. I think it was warranted for what happened here. But here, this was something that kind of clicked on me that kind of is interesting about him and see what you think. I know you got to get out of here. It's all good. Um, the team's two and five. Sirianni's the play caller. I give him a ton of credit for saying, I'm not good enough at this job. Shane, take over. And in this situation, he's not Doug Peterson, okay? He didn't win the Super Bowl. He might not have another job lined up, and maybe that's why he perceived to put his tail between his legs. But the thing that Jason Kelsey said on the New Heights podcast, that comment, here it is. Take a listen. Nick moving to like a head coaching position. You're moving himself from play calling duties with Shane Steichen, right? Yeah. That ended up working out pretty damn good. Nick has shown in his tenure with the Eagles that he's going to do whatever he thinks is in the best interest of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's going to make those decisions and he doesn't care about how other people perceive it. He doesn't care about anything other than what's in the best interest of the team. And to me, I think players respect the hell out of coaches that operate on that level. Whatever's in the best interest of the team. And I think what happened is he went into that meeting with Jeffrey Lurie and they said, you need to do this. And he said, I know. I know. Mm -hmm. I wanted my guys to be here. We didn't get the job done. I'm willing to listen. What's in the best interest of getting this team better? And I'm here for it. I, I agree with that because I, I, I did give Sirianni a lot of credit for giving up play calling at the time. I, I thought that was a thought that was a boss move. I mean, having the awareness, the self-awareness for the betterment of the team to do that midseason and it worked out, right? Like, I, I, I do give him credit. And let's be real. Right. Like to go against what I've been saying, uh, critic, criticism wise, like he, you're going to make some decisions in anything you do, you know, especially in that line of work where it doesn't work out. Right. You're not going to bat a thousand. And this year it, it clearly it clearly did not work out with every decision Sirianni made. Yep. And I think a little bit of that is, you know, um, 
Did I nail the coordinator thing? Probably not. You know, Sean Desai was kind of the guy that we went with because of the whole Gannon thing. We wanted Fangio, and then we just decided to, instead of overhaul our defense at such a late stage of the game, let's get a guy, Vic Fangio. Um, I mean, Sean Desai was on Vic Fangio's staff in Chicago. Eh, he was a coordinator in Chicago. Let's go get him. We're running the same defense. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it adds up. Yeah. I, 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 it makes sense. It does make sense. And I was screaming from the rooftops fire Sirianni at one point. But, you know, now that the dust has settled, I, I, I don't hate that they went and got who they got, especially on the defensive side. And you give Nick one more chance with what we assume to be an upgrade at both coordinator positions. So, All right. Uh, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN Happy Hour Friday. Getting ready to get out of here. That's all I got. Well, you got anything else? Um, I mean, yeah, I think I got a lot, but I'm out of time, man. So we'll have to, uh, Monday. We'll have to wait till Monday. Write yeah. them down. We'll do it Monday. Sounds good, man. We'll do it live on Monday. We'll do it live. Do it live. All right. At Wise Rye, Ryan Rothstein, he joins me every Monday here on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. All right. When we come back, it's a happy hour Friday. I got some picks for you. I got some thoughts. I didn't do my Friday five and you would say, well, there's no football left. It's the only Sunday with no football since, uh, the college, uh, uh well, really the college season because uh, there was Sunday college games, but since August where we had preseason games and everything, it's kind of sad to think about. Of course, we'll have the Super Bowl next week, but uh, I'll find five for you, five games of interest this weekend, and uh, we'll close out the show with that. Plus, I told you I had four Happy Hour Friday picks for you next. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, get ready to get out of here on this uh, happy hour Friday. I got a couple happy hour uh, picks for you. By the way, the... The character I was thinking of was Schlepprock from the Flintstones. Well, everything always doesn't go his way. Right. Schlepprock. A couple people texted that one in. Flintstones, not peanuts. Yeah. I used to have a buddy of mine who used to say he was Schlepprock all the time betting. <laughs> he was a bad gambler. Um, got some happy hour Friday picks for you. They're like not Schlepprock. Um, some of them aren't great. No, I'm just kidding. Jeez. Um, supposed to be happy hour Friday, Mike. Come on. Yeah, we are, uh, well, I was away last weekend, so I tried some different things. They weren't like, you know, but I'm sure like people can get them. So I gave you three last hour. Here's a couple more for this hour, okay? A couple more, a couple more. Uh, last hour I gave you Justin a haze from Bavino's. Freshy from Downriver Brewing. Hopmonger from Well-Crafted Beer. This one's a new one. Uh, it's called Tall, Dank, and Handsome. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it was uh, from Benny Brewing. I gave it four stars out of five. Overall, the global ranking is 
I thought it was very good. Sounds good to me. I like the name. Tall, dank, and handsome. I'm always a fan of a good beer name. This place I went to had some great beer names. It's yeah, on my uh, picture. If you follow me on X at Mike Gill Show, I posted the picture of the wall of the beer names. Uh, here's one from Jam Room Brewing called Mike Check. Jam Room Brewing was really cool, by the way. Okay, where's that at? Um, somewhere out in the Poconos. Okay. Live music. It looked like um, what was the name of the restaurant on Saved by the Bell? Peach Pit. The Peach Pit. That was the name of the place. It reminded me like walking into the Peach Pit. Had like the old like neon record like behind the bar. The the beer was called Mike Check. Has 3.75. Got a guy playing the sax. You ever see a band that has a guy who's like maybe in his 50s and he's playing the sax? And he's up there. Just and jam. at that moment, he's the coolest guy there ever was. Do you think he ever feels better than that moment when he's up there playing the sax? I'm assuming that's why he plays the sax. Like, I love playing this. Like, I played the sax at one point in my life. I can't do it anymore. But generally, you know, when you're a younger guy, playing the sax doesn't seem to be the coolest thing in the world. Right, but when you're 40, 50 years old. Exactly. Now he's 40 and 50, and he's up there playing the sax, and everyone's like, this guy's the man. Well, it's funny you said that because on the show that I've watched that you haven't called Parks and Recreation, one of the shticks in the show is that the character Ron Swanson has a secret identity where he goes to the other end of town and performs as this blues sax player, and he has a completely different name of Duke. He changes his name. He changes like his loop. I like his, that. His name, the Duke, just to perform in public. I like that. Yeah, the guy, you know, he's up there playing the sax. He, you know, he's wait for his turn, come in there and just start blaring away. I don't, I don't, um, I don't remember what song he was playing where he was like the featured guy, but it was pretty good. It was a good, uh, it was a good, good place. Uh, the other one I got for you, it's from Barley Creek Brewing. Anybody in the audience? been to the Poconos, there's a brewery called Barley Creek. They had a beer, it was on a Friday, called No More Emails. <laughs> nice. So, I was asking the guy about the beer. And it was like a juicy West Coast style, which is not my style. Okay. He said, we tried to make a hazy, but it didn't ferment well enough, so it ended up being this. <laughs> okay, But the beer is called No More Emails. It was all right. I wouldn't say it was great. Like, go find it. But it was worth trying if you like a, like a, a West Coast style. I'm not I a big West Coast style. I enjoy a good West Coast, so I would definitely try that. Okay. Uh, if you ever been to Pocono Brewing Company, their beer up there is called Wally Wilson. Not Wally Pip, hair. 3.4 out of 5. Wally Wilson is the name of that one. There not Wally Wilson, hair. Nope. All those Kansas City Royals are not uh, not what we're looking at here. They're not walking through that door. So that's a couple hat. That was I gave you seven today this week. Yeah, you well, number. you made it for lost time. I gave everybody at least three a week generally. Yeah, so you weren't here last week, so you doubled up this week. That's right. I wasn't here last week. Was anything good last week? Did I miss a, a good recommendation that, that you tried? Uh not well. There was one that I tried on uh, last Saturday. I was at Slack Tide Brewing. So, they, for those who don't know, Slack Tide has a hard lemonade. 
And what they do is they offer you, if you want to mix the hard lemonade with their IPA schoolie. And so they call it, you know, school bus of lemon sharks. You know, it's a hard lemonade mixed with the IPA, and it's pretty good. It's more of a summer beer, though. It feels like something you would well, drink in Well, these places in the Pocono had all these things. They were like Gatorade uh, knockoffs with, oh, really? with alcohol. <laughs> by the way, the place that Saved by the Bell was the Max. What did I say? The Peach Pit? You said the Peach Pit. Yeah, it was the Max, I think. The Peach Pit was in Melrose Place or one of those places. Oh, Peach Pit was not Saved by the Bell. It was the Max. You got to go to the Max. That was a bad uh, mistake by me. That's all I got for you today. 90210. 90210 had what? Peach Pit? Yeah. And the Max was saved by the bell. Beverly Hills 90210. Gotcha. That'll be, uh, well, next week we're at Ocean on Monday. Uh, Tuesday I'm traveling. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday we are, uh, working on some shows. I'll tell you what, putting these shows together is not easy. I hope you guys enjoy it. At the very least, and appreciate it. <laughs> it is not easy to put these shows together when we go out to Vegas. The time change is rough. Just put the puzzle pieces of who's available at what times. I believe in you, Mike. I'm going to work on that this weekend. Have a great one, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.